We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I just like the sound. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of one of the best sports and recreation podcasts in the world, Veterans Minimum. I'm your host, Nick Dayas at The Lamb Show, and joining me, as always, uh, probably one of the more over people on the brand right now, a lot of good feedback, finally introducing A-double-L-E-N, baby, Alan, what up? What's up? Appreciate the love. You know what I'm saying? The, the people really enjoyed that. They were like, dude, I didn't know you guys knew each other like that. They thought we were just like friends, like we know one yeah. another, but like, nah, we're kind of homies, you know? We met Studio Square, hammered. <laughs> Sounds about right. Sounds about right. Um, all right, there's a lot we got to get to. We have a nice layout for the show, but I want to get started on, man, I've watched this Diego Maradona documentary four times. Um they should really like give me some money for promoting it this much. It's sensational. It's because you rarely rave about like things this much. Like when, whenever like a doc, such a documentary, if something just stands out because there's so much competition out there. The fact that this is the I'll say Maradona is such a massive figure, but you're really raving about it. Yeah, and also I love HBO. I think all the stuff that they do is super elite. But you know, my favorite thirty for thirty ever is the two Escobars. Wow. Okay. Did you ever watch that one? No. I love the Steve Smith one. That's the Steve Smith one is really yeah. good, too. But the 30 for 30 on the two Escobars, again, I've always been fascinated by Pablo Escobar. Don't know why his rise to power and all that. 
in Colombia. Obviously, Colombian girls, great girls, my favorite girls. Uh, and also the story of the dude, Andres Escobar, who scored the own goal and then ultimately got killed when he went back to Colombia. And that documentary, I told all my friends and everyone that asked me about 30 for 30s, I'm like, look, I might be a little biased because it's soccer, but I think it's the best one because of the story. And, you know, without getting into that one too much, it was like a lot of people thought Pablo Escobar was the one that killed Andres Escobar because of the own goal against USA in the 94 World Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pele came out and said, yeah, Colombia is my pick to win the World Cup. And that was high praise coming from him. And they were one of the favorites going into the tournament. And then, you know, Haji scores that infamous goal in 1994, which is like all the way from like the left flank, just upper 90s, the dude back post. It's like such an iconic goal. And then, you know, uh, Andres Escobar scores the own goal against USA. So I rave about that documentary. And then this documentary with Maradona. And the coolest thing about this, and what I want to ask you is, this isn't even really a soccer story. It's a a dude comes from nothing, becomes the biggest name in the world. Uh, I believe Sports Illustrated said he was like the most popular athlete in 1986. You know, he won the World Cup with Argentina. This documentary starts with him going to Napoli for the first time. And he gets introduced. You know how, like, you're a soccer fan, so it's easy for you to be able to understand this when a new signing comes. They have, like, the jersey reveal in front of right. the whole stadium. Yeah, especially if you're a superstar. Like, I remember Zar went to Madrid. It was, like, a huge ceremony. And obviously, Ronaldo went to Juventus. They had, like, I think he literally left the day of the World Cup final just so he could keep a low profile. And then the, the next day was the conference. Yeah, so these guys have this huge, like, reveal, and Maradona's over there in front of, like, 50,000 people, as many people as Napoli Stadium fits. But knowing Napoli, right, what what American sports team would you compare them to? At the time Maradona got there, they were the uh, red-headed stepchild of Syria, mm-hmm. and that might even be too high of praise. Like, they were not a good team. They barely beat Juventus every year. They, like, barely stayed afloat, mm-hmm. never got sent down to the B division in Syria, in Italy. But they were a team who, very loyal fan base, right? A lot of issues between uh, Neapolitans, I think that's what they go by, and, like, the other Italians in there kind of looked at them as, like, they would degrade the people from Naples and look at down on them, kind yeah. of. Yeah. And Maradona goes there, and man, within the first year, a lot of struggles. And then within two years, he wins the Serie A for the first time, wins it back-to-back. Then they win the UEFA Cup, wins the World Cup with, with Argentina. So, again, not going full soccer mode here. What team would you compare that to in American sports? Napoli, because uh, I, I want to, I want people to understand that might not be soccer fans. What, how big this moment was, where you know you had Juventus, you had AC Milan at the time, Inter, Fiorentina, yeah, probably. where they were the big name clubs, Roma, right? Uh, and yeah. and this guy goes from Barcelona to Naples. Mm-hmm. What would you compare that to? You're going from like the Patriots to. Ravens is that's a bit of an insult to the Ravens. Yeah, because the Ravens have one. I wouldn't say yeah. the Ravens. I, could it could it be the Chargers? I would say. You know what I would say, man. I'd say the Bengals. Man, I think Napoli's a little more respectful to the Bengals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is like they're a team who haven't really done much. Detroit uh-huh. Lions, maybe. Okay, that's solid. Yeah. Right. Imagine, imagine now Pat Mahomes, uh, wins the Super Bowl with the Chiefs. 
then goes, you know what? I'm not going to take the max with you guys. I'm going to test free agency. And he goes to Cincinnati because he's from there. He's not yeah, from there, yeah. but just hypothetical right. so you guys can understand. If, went to, if he was a QB Ohio State or something. Yeah, yeah. And he's from Ohio. He's from Cincinnati. He's like, nah, yo, I want to play for the Bengals. And he goes to the Bengals. And within the first year, there's some growing pains, but he's not the issue, clearly. And then from there, year two, they make it to the divisional round of the playoffs and they lose by a field goal. And then year three, they win the Super Bowl. Year four, they win the Super Bowl again. And the story of Maradona is he goes there and at one point he wants to leave, like 1988. And the president of Napoli is like, no, I'm not selling you. Why should I? Mm -hmm. I'm not selling you. You're still at the top of your game. You're still elite. Fast forward to the 1990 World Cup. And this is where the heel turn takes place, both from the fan base and from Maradona. The World Cup was in Italy in 1990. The semifinals between Argentina and Italy, do you know where it was played? It was Naples? In Naples. Um, Terrible scheduling on behalf of FIFA. They just wrote this storyline all together. So they play each other in the semifinals, and some reporter asked Maradona, who do you think the crowd is going to be behind? The homeland, Italy, or you, the godlike figure that you were for Naples. You literally made them respectable. You beat Juventus. You won the Serie A, something they never done before. Like Lesser City, not too long ago. Oh, they won the EPL. You, yeah. You think Jamie Vardy's ever gonna pay for a drink in Leicester? Or like, sure. no, he's gonna have a statue probably yeah. soon. You know. So that's what he meant to Naples, and he goes, "No, nah, they should root for me and my countrymen." Mm-hmm. You know, for everything that I've done these last seven years for you guys. And man, I get chills thinking about this. And every single time this scene comes up, I think it's the most iconic scene of this documentary. And I don't want to spoil it too much, but they're doing the national anthems. Pre-game rituals across all sports, too. You saw it in the NBA Finals with the Raptors, the Canadian anthem. And then from there, you had the, the United States anthem for Golden State. They boo the Argentinian anthem. And when they show Maradona, the boos escalate. And then you just see him saying in, in Spanish, he goes, you motherfuckers. Uh, Word? Like, it's like that? Okay. I bet. It's a rap now. Basically, just re- like kind of reiterating what Gangsta's he's saying. coming out. Yeah, like, all right, here comes the heel turn now. Like, we're about to go full as heel turn. And then from there, all the fuckery started because Argentina goes on and wins in penalty kicks. From so there, Baggio missed? Or was that 94? That was 94. Baggio okay. was 1994 against Brazil. Yes, yeah. the Baggio miss. All, all the Italian marks <laughs> must be hating that right now. But, you know, going back to 1990, they get knocked out. And then that's when the fuckery starts with Maradona. Because everyone knew he was with the cocaine and the mm-hmm. drugs and the prostitution and the, and the women. Yeah. But it was a cover-up because he was so good to Italy. When he turns on them, they turn on him too. So they made him a villain. My question to you is, do you think... One, that's fair to a guy like that. Two, do we expect too much from our athletes? We have to know the full details. Because I think at this point, we shouldn't look at, at like athletes as role models. I think that's just too much. Some of these guys, look, they just live their life. And obviously, you don't want them to go. You want them to get arrested. You want them to do, obviously, criminal acts. But to say these guys need to be role models, or they need to say the right things, they need to be someone to look up to. Why? At the end of the day, they're just trying to be the best at what they do on the field. Of course, they have to conduct themselves like professionals off the field, but they don't need to come up with these quotes. They don't need to do... Yeah, of course, you'd like to see them do charities, but they don't need to They don't need to go above and beyond. It, regardless of their resource, what they need to do is act like a professional off the field, off the court, whatever, but for the most part, just be the best. That's what you need to do. So, yeah, I do think we expect a little bit too much, especially given just the climate we live in. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. 
I felt like, I mean, for me personally, and again, I can only speak on my behalf, is my role models are my parents Mm -hmm. and my high school football coach and people that I got to know personally. I'll never forget, man. I got to meet a couple of really cool people in in wrestling through a couple of uh, networking connections and whatnot. And one of the, my buddy Mike, who told me, he's like, hey, man, one thing I'll tell you about this line of work that you're entering, because he's like, I see your potential and I see how much you hustle and how much you care about this stuff. You're going to meet a lot of people that are your heroes. And sometimes it's best not to meet them. It's happened to me, yeah. your opinion is going to completely change mm-hmm. on them. And for the most part, everyone that I've gotten to meet have been pretty cool. I can tell a story right now. Uh, Joe did an event one time at Dick's Sporting Goods in New Jersey. And we met Ahmad Bradshaw. And we met Hakeem Nix. Loved Hakeem Nix. Dick. <laughs> Dick. Did, like... The moment he signed 100 signatures, which was, I guess, what he was entitled to sign, he was like, yeah, I'm out. Like some little, like, four-year-old kid was over there wanting an autograph, and he started, like, crying and Man. shit. And I felt so bad. Like, yeah. not even for me. Like, I was 23 at the time, yeah. and it sucked. I didn't get an autograph, but it wasn't yeah. the end of the world for me. But for, like, a little kid, I think it's completely different. Four-year-old just waiting there. Especially, like, you see the training camp where, you know, kids are waiting for autographs. And even though it's 95-degree heat, you still expect, like, players to just go over there and just you know, look for kids. Like, I remember hearing athletes say, where the kids? Where the kids? Because that's the – of course, they don't want their autograph on eBay. That's another thing. But, yeah, of course, you want to yeah, yeah. make kids' day. Like, especially you look at soccer, whether it's in England, Germany. Like, especially with, like, a player. Like, I forgot what club it was in the championship uh, this – player gave his uh, jersey to some like five other kid was in tears or jira story some kid broke his nose trying to chase muhammad salah he wanted like a jersey yeah, <laughs> yeah, he, yeah got, he ran into it's a just, pole fandom's crazy but for these kids you want to you want to be happy because it's it's their support that matters the most especially like when you see them in the crowd that's things that excites you most of course in a big city like liverpool or manchester it's key but Still, like you just seen the smile of like a six year old, and they just want your jerseys. How can you say no to that? Yeah, where do you think we should draw the line with that as far as like what we expect from our athletes? I think I just think, it, especially when it comes to just off field stuff, it just of course you don't want you just don't want any criminal activity, right? I think it's pretty much no domestic violence, just any sort of suspicious behavior you just don't want them to be a part of. But look, if there's that, look. The, Everyone even will vilify smoking weed. Come on, we live in 2019. Let these guys do their thing. If they, especially for recreational use or just you know for healthy, like look what, look what Aaron Foster or Mike Tyson is doing right now with CBD, it's or our guy Nate Diaz. Like we shouldn't vilify them for smoking or just drugs or any of that. But I, I just think as long as they stay clean, uh, type of just you know don't get involved with any criminal activity and on the field, just don't be also pre Madonna in, uh, in the locker room. Like don't be. A, I think locker room cancers could be bad. Like that's something I can't really accept. I don't care how much of a superstar you are. If you're creating conflict in the locker room, especially for a franchise that's doing well, it just I don't think that's necessary. So I, it's all about just being a professional. Just understand professional etiquette. Don't pull like an Antonio Brown or anything. And I think you, they should ride behind you, regardless of what your hair color is, regardless of the antics. That's why I like Odell for the most part, because for me, I don't think Odell's ever really a cancer. You listen to guys like right here in Jeff Schwartz or. I forgot what running back, but they always say, Oh, Dolly, great work. I think it was a little emotional, but to me, it's just like what cancer was there. So, uh, that's where just professional etiquette. I think we kind of know the standards. That's pretty much it. Role model, they are great. Like, I heard Tyler Locker recently he's, has like a poetry book coming out yeah. about like, mental health, which I think is awesome. Like, if, if players go that route, respect it, but or a guy like Kevin Love or DeMar DeRozan, 
but they shouldn't be entitled to it. They shouldn't have, they shouldn't be, this shouldn't be a priority for them. It's like, Oh, I need to live up to this. I need to make sure kids could follow my dreams or like try to see what I'm doing and follow, copy my work ethic. If you want to, that's great. But some players like to live private lives. Matt Ryan barely talks. He barely, but you know, it's all about success on the field. And if you do that, kids should like you regardless, as long as obviously you're clean cut. Right. Right. And I think also with Maradona is, man, this guy was a rock star. This guy was he was he was a big name. He's like, the, I think he might besides Pele, most iconic figure ever in soccer. Like he's got to be top two, top three. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, unanimous. Pele, uh, Ronaldo, Messi, and like he's got to be right there. Yeah, and you know, I was talking to again. The reason why I joked around and said that HBO should give me some money for this is because I was telling some of my customers about it, and a lot of them are you know born and raised American. And I mean, look, I was born and raised here too, and whatnot. And but. They had no background in soccer. They don't like soccer. They don't even watch like the like they're super like baseball guys. You know what I mean? soccer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, yo, we knew who Maradona was growing up. Yeah. Like it was just a name where you just knew who that guy was. Right? Like I can't even think of a field, but there's just some people where you just know like you know that industry, you know that guy is in that. Like, I've never listened to Howard Stern in my life, but I know Howard Stern is like... He's iconic. Yeah, he's he's on the Mount Rushmore yeah. of radio right. personalities. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, Maradona's an iconic... Like, Maradona is... I always joke around, I was like, yo, if you want to be a great soccer player, you have to go by one name. It's like Maradona. Mm-hmm. It's like, his real name is Diego Armando yeah. Maradona. It's like... Dude, look, at the, look at the last World Cup. He was everywhere as Argentina was flopping. Like it was uh, as big as the other world. Like he was always a crowd. You just see his miserable face. So like that could just that just tells you like this guy he could go around. He's gotten so many different jobs. He managed our Argentina national team. I like to hear HBO kind of do something with that because that team had a lot of talent, but they kind of crumbled against I think it was Germany in the quarterfinals. So he's been everywhere. I know he's doing some work in United. I remember it's, he's still he's had a couple health scares, but Maradona keeps struck out and look regardless of what he does like in terms of his drug usage or whatever when players see him doesn't matter who it is they work immediately yeah, handshake yeah, yeah, going yeah. this i remember watching real fernand uh did some video at the world cup and when he saw maradona he like hugged him immediately then they did some like five on five game with like uh petite and turam and the gary Lineker was there as well just does athletes just they adore him they always will just for the skill he had, and I think that's what you kind of look at. Athlete. A guy is like a superstar, like Maradona, or you know, compare any other sport. If you want to just bring up any superstar, you're always gonna get that respect. Yeah, if you guys haven't checked out the Maradona documentary, it's sensational. And again, if you're not a soccer fan, like just like a like if you like documentaries, like I found myself on Netflix sometimes watching the most outrageous documentaries. Mm-hmm. I, I have no like ties to or whatever, you know. Like I hate politics, but I'll watch yeah. like some like politics documentary because yeah. it's cool i like the director and whatnot yeah. it's um, well produced exactly yeah, yeah. and hbo <laughs> is sensational right. like if i was to power rank my favorite like shows of all time hbo probably has like seven of them you know um but all right enough about that let's do something that i always look forward to doing and that is uh bringing in some wrestling into re- from one football to another football mm-hmm. and uh some fantasy booking here brother brother mm-hmm. some fake trades we're gonna play some fake trades here folks and I want you guys to chime in as well at Veterans Minimum. Hit us up. Hit add up at the Lame Show to get in touch with me. A double L E N underscore S T R K. Correct. I crushed that. <laughs> Boom. Uh, hit us up and tell us what you guys think about these fake trades. So, Alan, we compiled the list over here. We have we have four names 
And then we're also going to do a guy that's not rumored to be traded. Just we're factoring in uh, likely location, fit, scheme, need. Mm -hmm. The names that we have are, of course, Jalen Ramsey, A.J. Green, Emmanuel Sanders, and Trent Williams. We'll wait until we get to the uh, fantasy booking to name the guy that we each have. So there are a couple rules to this, Alan. If you say this player is going to go to this team, this team cannot make another trade in this scenario. So we can't put all these guys on New England. Mm -hmm. Why would we? Why would we <laughs> want to do that, right? So kick us off, man. Let's go with, uh, ooh, how about this? Power rank between Ramsey, Green, Sanders, and Trent Williams. Top to bottom as far as the most impactful players. Just like talent-wise right now where they are in their careers. Ramsey, Williams, Green, Sanders. I'd probably flip-flop AJ Green and Sanders. Ooh. Only because this is what, three years in a row now AJ Green is battling an injury? It's true. And Sanders, look, he came back off an Achilles, but shit, watching this guy this year, I think that's one of the most shocking player storylines. Guy tore his Achilles in December, folks. Anytime someone tears their Achilles north 30 of 30. Or, yeah. uh, actually, yo, if you tear your Achilles at any time. I know, but 30 in particular. That's, and for a wide receiver, that's yeah. sensational. That guy's explosive as Sanders that relies on his movement. Right, right. All right, yeah, so I would say I would say Ramsey, Trent Williams, Sanders, AJ Green for me. Um, all right, kick us off. Give me, let's start off with... Uh, Let's start off with AJ Green. Where would you where do you think he would go if he was to be traded? And where would you like to see him go? The Bengals are so conservative. That's the thing. And you know they're looking for draft capital. It's just because given that you know, that franchise, just how unstable they are. But you got a lot of things I'm looking at the NFC, because the NFC, there's just so many different teams, there's so many different contenders. I would love to see AJ Green in New Orleans. Wow. Okay, I did not even think about that i've had like five teams in my head did not have the saints all right so and falcon fans that are listening to this right now they're like dude get this guy off the mic right now it's <laughs> shameful <laughs> like, but i just think it'd be a cool fit and i think aj considering all the mediocrity of pub to why he's put up with over the years let him work with one of the best coaching staffs ever let him work with a guy like drew Brees. it just it would be crazy to see him there even though i think nuance is a good support guess i they could still use another receiver i like ted get i like uh Traycon Smith, such as a vertical threat, but for me, AJ Green, just imagine putting him, imagine like bunch concepts with him and Michael Thomas. You're talking about two massive receivers. I don't think there's a better receiver uh, in terms of like reading zone coverage and just finding cushions than Michael Thomas. You just constantly see Michael Thomas getting open, especially just in zone. And then you have AJ Green, just another threat. I just don't know how you would stop them in the red zone. Jared Cook's another big threat. I know his hands are always shaky, but just could you imagine the combinations you could run with Green Thomas? I just think. New Orleans gets that, they could be anyone. I think they're probably the favorites. Ted Ginn also to stretch the field. And Smith. Smith's not a guy that could do it. Yeah, Trey Clark. And, Smith and like too. all these guys downfield, uh, who do you have underneath? Alvin Kamara. <laughs> like and they have one of the best all lines. I mean, he went there. I like I already think New Orleans is the best team in the NFC. Really? Yeah. yeah, I think they've been incredibly impressive. Their defense has really stepped up. That D-line, Rankins is healthy. Davenport's really coming along. Hendrickson, like, right? Anya Mata had a big set against Dallas, and you know how much I love Cam Jordan. I, I'm i really impressed by their defense. Yeah, they have a few flaws, but what defense doesn't have flaws? So besides maybe Chicago. But, yeah, I think AJ to New Orleans would be crazy. All right, so I like that one. But I want to say mine is better. 
and I know I might be a little biased, but man, what do you think of the idea of him going to San Francisco? Shanahan. A big number one with Shanahan. Number two, they don't really have a guy like AJ Green. And I know not a lot of teams do. When that guy was on, like it was not too long ago, he was a unanimous top five wide receiver. Mm-hmm. He was your number one wide receiver on your fantasy team, and you started him every time with the utmost confidence. Um, I think the one thing that a team like the San Francisco 49ers is missing is a big body, big target wide receiver. Now, I know you have Kittle, but he can only do so much as a tight end. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, Debo Samuel, he's not 6'5", 230. Good right? win. Good win, speedster, Dante Pettis underneath kind of guy. Yeah. And, man, the more I see it, I see that Falcons team from 2016 with them. Much better at tight end. A lot of guys like your Taylor Gabriels, your most Sanu, most Sanu's, Robinson. yeah, like these like speedsters or guys that just do one thing particularly mm-hmm. well. They have their skill set, and they have Shannon Coleman there, just, who was there. Yeah. They have Brito, who I guess could be like the Freeman kind of yeah. back. And I really like it. I, I like what I'm seeing there with the Niners. Uh, some of my friends have been hitting me up, and they're like, "Yo, man, I kind of, uh, I kind of this kid has tried trading." Me this whole time, my buddy Dom. Dom, enough. Stop with this shit. AJ Green is in the trade package too, which is funny. Uh, but all right, without getting sidetracked, uh, I think a guy like AJ Green over in San Francisco, I'd be, I think, would be cool. Because I think San Francisco realizes they should be a playoff team. They're going to be a playoff team for years to come. AJ still has a lot left in the tank, and you have a team like the Rams that has so much cornerback down. Eventually, Shan's going to realize we can't out scheme everybody. We're going to need players to win on the outside and. AJ Green would be the guy because right now they don't have anyone really reliable. So I like Goodwin a lot, but he's more of just a guy who runs goes. Yeah, kills. and and you know before Dom sent me this shit trade and I got a little sidetracked. <laughs> yeah, you're legit pissed off right now. I was yeah because it insults my intelligence. He wants DeAndre <laughs> Hopkins and everyone's trying to buy low on him. He had he had a couple of bad weeks. I'm like no, I'm not giving up DeAndre Hopkins uh, pennies on the dollar. It's not happening. Suck my balls, Dom. Okay, so a lot of my friends hit me up and they're like, "Yo, good call on the Niners." They called me crazy for I actually picked them to win the NFC West. Now they still have Seattle who's crushing it Rams are only one game behind they're playing each other this week too they still got four games yeah, yeah, yeah against the, those two teams are the cream of the crop in their division still believe they also got played New Orleans so. they do yeah. yeah yeah so um but I was watching them on 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 Monday and I think the Niners are legit their defense is really good finally they've hit on whether it's free agency did they overpay for some guys yeah but that's yeah. what you got to do in order to bring yeah. guys from other teams yeah. over here I like Quan Alexander I know people give him heat for missing a lot of tackles but he's that guy could move like, okay. I, I shit on that deal because I felt like Mosley's better than him yeah so why not give an extra million I know it's easy for me to say to mm-hmm. tell someone what to do with their money but why not give an extra million dollars for C.J. Mosley? I think the Jets to- just threw money at Mosley. He said no. I couldn't say no. Yeah, they yeah. did. They did I know the Jets just threw. Like, they were going after Barr, but Barr's like, no, Mike Zimmer loves me. I like Mosley. Yeah, he actually <laughs> saw, like he said he was going to sign with them, and then he's like, yeah, I'm going to go. and Yeah, Zimmer convinced him. That's that yeah. influence. But. So, so staying with A.J. Green going to the Niners, I just think that that's what that offense is missing. A, a true, true I saw one-on-one wide receiver, and he could beat Jalen Ramsey. He could beat Patrick Peterson. He Keep could Tlaib. Beat, he could beat the top guys in the league. Mm-hmm. And I also think it'll rejuvenate him, man. It'll right. revitalize his career. And I always, I know I say that a lot, but I'm a big believer in stars kind of getting forgotten, whether it's because of injury or not being as productive because the team and the circumstance around them is bad. 
guy goes there and he's like, oh shit, I went from 0 and 5 to now 4 and 0, 5 and 0 potentially. I might make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, might I'm win in. a playoff game. I might <laughs> win a playoff. Yeah, like yeah. yo, what's up? I'm in. Yeah. So I think that's that's a factor that you need to be considering when you're when you're looking at these trades and just in general, all trades. And two receivers that had monster seasons was Andre Johnson and Julio when they worked with Shannon. Like I think they had their most yards per catch, both receivers. Just so many explosive plays working with Shannon. So yeah, it would be a great fit. That was definitely up there. I just I don't know what to say, Frank, because they were interested in Beckham. They were like the main team competing with the Browns to get Beckham. So I do think they would like that receiver, but who knows with them because I know they really liked investing in the draft. I know John Lynch is very much a prioritizer with the draft. But then again, look what they did with D Ford and they gave him a second round pick. And I wonder how much it would take to get AJ. Like, I don't know if they would go for first because they already traded the second with D Ford. But who knows with the Bengals? Maybe they're like, they realize we can't. What is AJ Green like 30 31? Maybe we can't only get a third or a fifth rounder, or who knows? Maybe they could trade someone else because I think age really works against a lot of these players. Like, even though they're super talented, like there's teams that we're going to probably talk about, Mayo Sanders, but teams might not offer more than like a fourth or fifth round pick, which is crazy given the talent level, but it's just injuries and age. Why would do so much? Look what happened to Antonio Brown. Yeah. Nah, that's a that's a great segue into Emmanuel Sanders. That's like the next guy on the list, and I'll lead this one off because. If you guys have been listening to the show the last couple of weeks, I've been I've been sort of fantasy booking this guy with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Right? I think what the Packers really need is a reliable number two wide receiver. And I know people like MVS, people like Geronimo Allison, but come on, man. That's not really doing it for me, personally. Where you have Devontae Adams there on the outside. It seems like you have a running back in Aaron Jones. I know it's easy to say after a monster game that he had last week. Uh, kind of broke the slate from a DFS perspective. And even, like, he won a lot of people there fantasy weeks. Mm-hmm. What did he score? Four touchdowns, was it? I think he had four touchdowns, Aaron Jones. Did, yeah. Yeah. There's so many players that went off this week. Oh, my God, yeah. Crazy. <laughs> McCaffrey, <crazy>. Will Fuller. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so a guy underneath, slot guy, right? We've seen Randall Cobb in years past be very reliable for Aaron Rodgers. We've seen Jordy Nelson towards... Post Jordy Nelson after the ACL, he lined up a lot in the slot because that's also around the same time when Devontae Adams came into the fold. And it was like, all right, well, we have our stud guy on the outside. Man, Sanders, another guy, like goes to Green Bay. They're 4-1. and one. You're looking at that roster. I can make the playoffs. I haven't been in the playoffs in a couple of years. I have a quarterback that could get me the ball. Though, you know what? Flacco is doing what he can. He's... Sanders up until last week, I think, led the league in red zone targets. And it's always bizarre seeing red zone targets. The guys you don't expect to be there are there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I would love to see Emmanuel Sanders go to the Green Bay Packers. Mm -hmm. What say you? It's a little bit of a weird fit, but I still think given their roster talent and I know they're running first offense, but I think their fits there and it'll be Seattle with Sanders and Lockett together. You have two very fun receivers that could stretch the field. You have Metcalf as the possession guy, although Metcalf, you saw him you saw him go vertical. He roasted Marcus Peters last Thursday night. I just think Sanders, even that offense where they prioritize around the ball, it's still add more talent. And I think John Schneider is one of the best general managers in terms of getting value for players. You saw what he did with Clowney. Uh, you saw Frank Clark traded. <laughs> Looks like he's the king of that right now. Frank Clark couldn't have been more of a bust right now. But I think Schneider... Just seeing, I think you realize that Seattle's one of the 
three or four best NFC teams. I think Seattle is really good. And even though they do have a couple of limitations, particularly in the secondary, I think a guy like Sanders could really put them over a top because they could use still some receiver. I love Tyler Lockett. I think he's super talented. And I think Metcalf's really blown people away with how productive he's been. So I was wrong on Metcalf. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of people are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know what? I still have concerns of... You know, his route tree is exactly what I expected it mm-hmm. to be. Like, he's not running no back shoulder routes. He's not running no stuff underneath. It's a lot of his plays are deep downfield, which is what we expected it to be with Metcalf. Uh, very fast on the outside, home run threat. I just think that I don't know if that body's sustainable moving forward. Like, it's too, like, yo, he looks like a bodybuilder. And. Yeah, I don't know many receivers that like a big physical freaks like that that have lasted. Yeah, you know, yeah. like some of them are a yeah, little Yeah, he's not Kelvin Benjamin. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, I don't know. The jury's still out, but I got to say, I, I like to admit when I'm wrong, and I was definitely wrong on uh, DK Metcalf. Like you said, a lot of people were. Um, all right. This next one I think would be interesting. In an era where we only talk about wide receivers and running backs, uh, Trent Williams, offensive lineman. Hall of Famer, most likely. Uh, th- like a lot of people say, he's probably the best. Him and like uh, Tyron Smith and Dallas are the best left tackles of this generation. And also um, Joe Thomas. Thomas as well, yes. And also the guy uh, I'm blanking I, I don't right think now. Jason Peters is this generation, or is he? Uh, that's who I was going to bring up. Love Jason Peters. That yeah, he's a molar. He's, he's a stud there on that <laughs> yeah. offensive line in Philly. But um, oh, look at that. We just named three. Offensive lineman, left tackles in the NFC East, and of course the Giants still don't have one. Man, Shout I out got to Nate these. Soldier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so fifteen million against the cap every year. Anyway, um, all right. So Trent Williams, where would you like to see Trent Williams go? Easy Chargers. Yo, same, <laughs> same. Like, dude, they just lost Pouncey two on IR. Uh, per I know Kung might come back, but uh, he's Kung's whatever. Like he's just a guy at this point. He was really good like four or five years ago, but injuries have kind of decimated his career. At this point, the Chargers need a tone setter. They need someone just keep the blind side protector for Phil Rivers. Let Phil Rivers with his crazy throw motion just get the ball downfield. That, that's all I could say at this point. The LA Chargers five hours ago at the time we're recording have signed center guard Ryan Grory and placed Mike Pouncey on injured reserve. Warren Sharp at Sharp Football on Twitter. Godspeed, Philip. Rivers has started 224 consecutive games over 14 seasons, including the playoffs, and is forced to watch his teammates drop like flies on an annual basis. Has to be maddening. There's also a guy who tore his ACL in a divisional playoff game, had surgery Tuesday, and played against the undefeated Patriots in Foxborough. Like, you want to talk about tough. I, I think... <clears throat> I don't know what Rivers' uh, status is going to be come Hall of Fame time. And, like, you know, is he first ballot? Is he going to be a Hall of Famer or whatnot? Because nowadays it's all about championships. And I think that's also a corny argument, too. Um, Man, so much goes into you winning, dude. Like, so much goes into you winning. And the fact that this team is always decimated. I, I, I love the Chargers coming into this year. And then Derwin James got hurt. Everyone and then, did. And then Melvin Gordon's holding out. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, all right, same old shit with the Chargers. Like, what is it over there? But, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I know I don't usually like agreeing because so we can play off one another. Mm-hmm. It got to be the Chargers. If, if there's any other team I could think of, maybe the Bears. But I don't know how much, like, the Bears, they have, like they've traded. I don't even know what their draft situation's like. like if you want to look at it from that. Because Washington, they're clearly looking for a first-round pick. Like, 
And I think the Chargers are one of those teams like they're kind of win now mode at this point. So you have to take that into consideration. But I think the Bears could use kind of an upgrade uh, because uh, their offense line, man, they're getting picked apart by the Raiders. Like <laughs> that was the most bizarre game. That was uh, probably the most head scratching game of the weekend. As far as like, mm-hmm. am I reading this score correctly? Watching that, I couldn't believe it. Jalen Ramsey. Of all the names on this list, do you think he's the most likely to get traded? Jacksonville's playing horrible right now. Uh, I would say Sanders is the most likely. Uh-huh. Well, you know, it's it's weird because when he started doing all this stuff, they were 0-2. And now they're like, they're 2-3. and three. They're in the mix in the South. I, I think it's, it goes far beyond whether they're successful. I think this is deeply rude. I, he feels disrespected by the organization. He doesn't get along with Coughlin because yeah. Coughlin's a very old school if you're if you're on time, it means you're late, kind of thing. You know, I like, think the whole ball situation really rubbed him the wrong way, and just I don't know what his contract situation's like. I don't know what they're offering him, but it's he, he said that the organizations like disrespect them. It's deeply rooted. It's not about winning and losing. So I don't know. I think it'd be best for both parties for the part, or it's part ways. Yeah, that's uh, I, I definitely see that. I could definitely see that. But then again, if you're Jacksonville and this guy, all indications are that he's not going to re-sign with you and he's probably the premier corner in football, why not try to get something for him? And if you're asking prices too high, I also think that you lose leverage when you're in an organization and the guy is completely checked out. And, but, and not only checked out, when he knowingly, the other team knows that, yo, he's not going to sign with you. So Look what the Ravens tried. Yeah. Yeah, they offered and they declined. Which is Man, a, that was kind of crazy, no? Yeah. What was it? A first... A second and Hayden Hurst and Hurst. Yeah, man, that's I think that's that's a fair deal for Jalen Ramsey. J- Jacksonville, I don't know what they're thinking at this point, but because they still got Boye, who's not cheap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Campbell's getting up their age; he's not cheap. They have so many players. They just paid Miles Jack, so it just makes you wonder what they're gonna. Well, I think that the Josh Allen pick in the draft this year fell to their lap. I think that's a, that was insurance for Ngakwe. Gog- he held out for a bit. He held out. I don't think he got paid. Okay, so it's not on the radar. I, I think I think Josh Allen is insurance for them, where they could turn and say, like, if Josh Allen has, say, he gives you nine sacks or double digit sacks, would be a pipe dream. And you know, I don't have his sack numbers in front of me, but I do feel like he's been relatively quiet. Uh, I don't think he's really made any impactful plays, more so than impactful plays. But I think if you're if you're Jacksonville and you're looking at Josh Allen, I think that's insurance for Clayus Campbell and Gakwe to be like, all right, guys, we're not going to give you the money that you might be asking for. We have another guy in the wing and we have a premier pass rusher for cheap, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's like it's quarterback we know of. Now it's becoming the obviously the left tackle, a top end wide receiver. And then like a edge rusher is like your where your top four salary should be on your team. Mm-hmm. So. We kind of got sidetracked a little bit. Where do you think Jalen Ramsey ends up? And where would you want to see him go? Where does he end up? Philly, but I'd like to see Kansas City more. I think if he goes to Kansas City, they're the favorite. Personally. The, I think they that should guy, be the favorite, but the defense is I know, shaky. But, but, but I think that guy completely changes that defense, man. One side I, of the field. I think yeah. that one side of the field gets shut down. Yeah. Again, going back to what I've been saying, the common theme with all these guys, ladies and gentlemen, is when you're in a situation that you're not happy and you get traded to a contender, I think it 
completely changes your entire perception of that player and how they perceive their season to go. Going from a top five pick in the draft to a top five Super Bowl favorite, that's very convincing to get you motivated. So I think Jalen Ramsey going on that team, and I think that's exactly what Kansas City needs. They I do. think they need they need a top corner because yeah, they're just they've been just underwhelming in general. Like their front seven, Frank Clark's not had an impact. I love Chris Jones, but their linebackers aren't really covering. Honey Badger's done well there. It's just. I don't know. Something's missing at defense. I thought the Colts really took it to him, even though they only scored 19 points. But uh, look, Ramsey's obviously a difference maker, so he's going to change something there. So I just I think Kansas City is going to need a little more to be the favorites because if anyone could out scheme someone, it's going to be Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels. Right. Like they'll get there. That's why I'm not sure if they're the favorites. But obviously, Kansas City, if they're going to pose a serious threat, well, they'll pose a serious threat itself with their offense. But it's just watching that defense play. I feel like they're even gone worse with Spagnola. Hmm. That's an interesting take. Yeah, because Spagnola has been a guy who every time he's gone to a new situation, there's been an immediate impact with him. I don't think it's been a big impact. Not much, uh, yeah. And you know I got a soft spot for Spags. Yeah. And goat. you thought because Sutton was really criticized. A lot of Kansas City fans got sick of Sutton because he was just very conservative. He would constantly be dropping Justin Houston and D4 into coverage, and it's just kind of outdated 3-4 schemes. So they thought with Spags they would be blitzing more, which they have. But I don't know. I think – Getting rid of Ford and Houston and think they underestimated that and just Frank Clark hasn't been there. Just not having that usual production from someone like Frank Clark has really hurt their defense. But it's still Jalen Ramsey going to a contender. I think Kansas State is the best fit. But ah, Philly, you know Philly's thinking of something right now. I would love to see him on this team, and I don't think it happens because they're in their division, the Texans. Plus, Texas have, like, no picks. Like, who, who are they trading? Yeah, they have no picks that they can give up. Uh, what are they doing to Texas? Well, actually, didn't what did they get in Jadavion Clowney? Oh, man, look, I got to look this up. But I want to say they got a draft pick. Now, I don't think it was a first-round pick, but I do think that they got something. They got Mingo. That's what I remember. Oh, my God, that guy Mingo. He was on the Patriots for a little while, too, I think. He's been Colts, Brown. Yeah, yeah. So... Texans desperately need some corner help. They got that dude Johnson. They got Jonathan Joseph, who, I mean, he was old six years ago, and he's still in the league. For real, for real. And, uh, yeah, I always mention this story about um, Joe Thornton. He's on the Sharks now, but when he got traded to San Jose, like my buddy Dylan, you know Dylan, Mm -hmm. he was like, man, that dude was old 10 years ago, and he's still in the league, and he's pretty productive. So in exchange for kind of Seahawks are sending uh, two players, Mingo and Jacob Martin, and a 2020 third-round pick. Third-round pick. John Schneider schooled them. Well, they gave – yeah, and they also gave – They still have a GM. Let's just – Right, <laughs> right. And also the Texans gave up all those picks for Tunsil and Stills. Kenny Stills. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe from – that was more of just like a – dream, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, man, uh, for me, it has to be Kansas City more so than Philly. Just because I, I think Kansas City, that's exactly what they need to get over the hump. Because you look mm-hmm. at the matchups, right? You're going to run into New England in the playoffs. And if that's the case, you want to have a guy to eliminate a Josh Gordon or a Jalen Ramsey. You know, in the past, they used to put Jalen Ramsey on Gronk, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then very versatile dude because he's a big corner also. Like, I think a lot of people, man, corners nowadays, they're not 5'8", five, 5'10", five, anymore. They're like 6'2", six, 6'3", six, a lot of the times. and. The the league transition once they saw Seattle success. Exactly. Bingo. Copycat league. And they saw Seattle finding these gems in the uh, second and third day of the drafts. Sherman, Byron Maxwell, 
Um, man, there was another corner too that Walter Thurman. Remember him in the slot? Right. He was like a premier slot yeah. corner also. And then yeah, you just saw it, and you're like, yeah, you know, I have to I have to guard Julio and AJ Green and Calvin Johnson Mike at the Evans. time. Mike Evans, all these big body wide receivers. I'm gonna need some big body corners to match up with them. So yeah, I would like to see Jalen Ramsey go to those teams. All right, this one is. We haven't seen any rumors. We haven't seen any. There's no uh, behind-the-scenes talks. This is just like, to use the wrestling analogy, fantasy book. Pick a guy in the league right now that you would like to see get traded somewhere. And I know it's there's a lot of options. Yeah. But think of a guy who's on a situation where Bad team, bad organization. Maybe he's a receiver that his quarterback can't get on the ball. Maybe it's a running back playing behind a bad offensive line, but he's very productive. Is there anyone that comes to mind for you? Give me Robbie Anderson to the Ravens. Robbie Anderson to the Ravens. I just think Robbie Anderson needs to change his scenery. Just get him somewhere. I don't know if Ravens is the greatest fit, but I'd just like to see Lamar get another threat. Why not? I just think he needs to get in New York. They, they've been trying. It's just... I don't know what the issue is. Like he has these four week flashes, but a guy like Robbie Anderson, he should really be the next to Sean Jackson. Man, you know what? It I couldn't agree with you more on him needing a change of scenery because I I had him as a sleeper thousand yard receiver candidate this year. But the last two three years, people have been waiting for him because Mary he was doing some serious work with Josh McCown. There was a stretch where two thousand seventeen he had like four or five games in a row. We just see fifty yard catch or forty yard touchdown. Robbie Anderson just didn't even matter if it was double coverage. Like he just he's very good at making contested catches too, which you wouldn't expect from a guy his size. Like I remember when I was covering Jets Falcons game, man, he roasted Desmond Trufant on a double move. I was like, wow. And I just remember a few other touchdowns. Like Carolina comes to mind. There are a couple other games. Like and he, he was doing this with Josh McCown. Remember that 2017 season where people were like, oh, Jets might go in 16. Yeah, he hit that stretch where he had like a hundred yard games like five times <sighs> in a row. Very good. And then last year, I don't know, things just didn't work out. But then he got hot at the end. But now it's just, I don't know, maybe he'll turn on with Darnold coming back soon. He, the, he's finally off the Hofstra strip. God bless. <laughs> Bad joke. <laughs> but uh, I, it's just at this point, I don't know what the Jets are doing. And anything with Adam Gase I've just, or Greg Williams, I just I got a thumbs down immediately. So, yeah, why not give Robbie to the Ravens? Even though they're arguably the most run-heavy attack, I think he's someone, he doesn't need too many targets. Kind of like Marquise Brown. Give him four or five targets, they could do their damage. I like that. I like that. So, for me... I would like to see, and I know he's been rumored. I think another guy that might need to change his scenery is Stephon Diggs. Definitely up there, even though the Vikings fanboy in me doesn't want to believe in him. Yeah, yeah. And he's a hero there. That's what people don't realize. Right, They right. find him 200000 for practice. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, there's actually a built-in chemistry that's very visible. And if you even look at the stats from last season between Thielen and Kirk Cousins, right? And Diggs has not really been utilized the way he should be and is capable of being. Like, he was a wide receiver that, if you look at his numbers, they've increased every season since he's been in the league. Battled some injury concerns throughout his career, and even so this year, too. He has some nagging injuries. But, man, a guy like that, him with the Chargers. Now, I know it's another wide receiver who not really reliable as far as health. You know, not for nothing. Yes, battle hamstring issues. Keenan Allen is relatively healthy. He has. My He's had just two extreme injuries. One was a spleen. Cl- yeah, the spleen is like you can't factor that in. That's just like 
freak accident, yeah, right? right? Yeah. And and people tear their ACLs all the time. And nowadays, right. like the ACL isn't as devastating as it was even ten years ago. Right. You know, the technology and the advancement in therapy and medicine. It's mm-hmm. like, man, guys come back in like seven months and it's they're fine. You know what I mean? So, with that being said, I think a guy like Diggs, opposite of like a Keenan Allen, still would be he would be a number two target. Have a big body and Mike Williams on the outside because you know, Mike Williams loses some time too with injuries or he loses a lot of drives. Mm-hmm. Like he'll sit out like two, three drives yeah. or whatever. And I would like to see him with with uh, a Phillip Rivers. I think that'd be really cool. And I know we're saying with wide receivers. Do you think that that's a that's like a thing? Wide receivers. Do you think yeah. are they the most expendable to be traded? In a way, but you also have the manage a situation i just think receivers it's quickly i think considering just the fit in terms of offenses they're the ones that are the most volatile and they're just receivers out there that just need a change of scenery whereas they don't mesh with the quarterback or they only just mesh with the system i think it's just receivers it's it's kind of fun to match them in other places like i'll mention one other name uh he's a tight end but you know i, I saw him last night or no excuse me monday night catch a ball a, a playoff baseball game but oj howard like Bring him to the Patriots or something. Just let him, let him go there. I think it'd be a great replacement for Gronk because it's clear that Bruce Arians has zero plans for this guy. I don't remember the Cardinals having any good tight ends. Like, is that is that just a scheme thing where he, he had Heath scheme? Miller? Well, he was at Pittsburgh, but I don't know how much he wants to put much stock into that. But I just think a talent came. You have to figure it out. But no, Arizona when they were there, I couldn't tell you who a tight end was. Man, I remember having this conversation about fantasy, and I was like, yo, how come, like, O.J. Howard's going above Evan Ingram in drafts? Ooh, that's a little steep. I, I don't... You saw that, really? Yeah, there were some people that were really making the claim yeah, that I had O.J. Howard fifth. Was, I had him over, like, 100 Henry or Jared Cook, but not Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram was clearly the fourth one to me. Yeah? Yeah. Because, obviously, you're not... T- Kelsey Ertz, Kittle. Kittle, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I, I think, like, a lot of people were expecting O.J. Howard to make that jump into that top three. I took my one leaf. And yeah, like Evan Ingram, I believe is the number one tight end in fantasy over Kelsey right now at the moment. Yeah, yeah. like the rankings wise, I know in my league, Kittle, Kittle's been my, my league is kind of well. Kittle didn't score any touchdowns oh, until Monday. Hurts. That's the Julio. <laughs> yeah, it's the Julio factor. Yeah, like you know, you know Julio posts up fifteen hundred yard seasons and people are angry because he has three touchdowns. It's like, well, call me crazy. I would. Uh, I, I like. I think those fifteen hundred yards mean something too. All right, cool. I hope you guys enjoyed this fantasy booking, brother, brother. Uh, Alan, uh, tell the people about this guest that you got, man. Hats off to you. You got the, uh, your first official guest on VM, brother, brother. Been wanting to get some guests on, just trying to track what's going on with the NFL, and I thought this guy would be a great fit. My buddy from the Athletic, Ted Nguyen, uh, started out covering the Raiders and the Niners. Now he's a national writer, so he's covering the entire league. He just recently came out of the piece with Matt Patricia having some success against Mahomes, but Mahomes prevailing. He's one of the best excellent guys out there. He's very well respected. Does a podcast with Kirk Morrison, and yeah, former Raider. Yeah, yeah, yeah long time veteran. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah Ted, cool. Ted's been grinding for years. He's one of the most respected minds. If you're someone that's trying to learn about the game, he's one of the main people to do. I had him back on when I was doing Falcons podcast back in 2016 when the Falcons played the Raiders. So, been wanting to have him on. I just thought this was a good week because the Raiders kind of shocked the world, and the Niners, in terms of making an impact across the league, I thought just a statement win. You couldn't ask for a better one. Oh yeah. So both teams, both yeah. teams are you know they're combined. What is it, seven and two on the year so right. far? And 
Uh, I had high expectations for the Niners, um, relatively low on the Raiders. Tough stretch for the Raiders with the schedule coming up. But, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I, I love this all-22 look that he does because yeah. I think it's very telling. There's a lot of things that you see in this all-22 look. And, and what that is, guys, is it's all-22 players on the field in that camera angle that you don't really see on TV. Like, there's a lot of times where you don't see the the defensive backs and the safeties, just how far they are off a wide receiver and how they're rolling coverages deep downfield because you know the camera angle just isn't isn't that so uh hats off to alan getting his first guest i appreciate that and yeah uh sit back relax and enjoy this one coming up all right joining us now is uh one of Alan's buddies in the industry, uh, the king of typos. That definitely made me laugh as I'm reading the bio here. Um, NFL staff writer at the Athletic, run the Film and State of the Nations podcast. Uh, Ted Gwyn, uh, Gwyn, I appreciate you coming on, man. How are you? No problem. Uh, thanks for having me on. And, and it's um, when people commonly get it wrong, uh, and it's silent. It's it's like just win, baby. Oh, okay. Ted Wynn. All right. I like it. Yeah. Thank you for the correction. I, I am, I'm not good with uh, last names, uh, but yeah, I appreciate you coming on, man. So tell the people a little bit about what you do, man. I like to uh, pull the curtain back a little bit, let people know exactly who we're talking to. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Ted. Yeah, I write for The Athletic. Um, I do film breakdown, so I specialize in uh, breaking down a strategy of football rather than um, you know, knees breaking and that sort of sort of thing. So, you know, um, if you like the to really get into the X's and O's, then uh, check out my work. Now, Ted, obviously you're kind of a mixture between the Raiders and NFL as a whole. Uh, how do you, in terms of balance, say, they, do you do like two or three a week? Because I find it very fascinating given how much work you have to put into this between, you know, obviously with the Raiders, but also doing something, say, like Pat Mahomes against the Lions. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I um, I cover the NFL. I'm, I'm a national writer, so I cover NFL as a whole. But I started out uh, just covering the Raiders and then the Niners. So they they'll always have um, you know a little time of my week to break down the film. And obviously, living in the Bay Area, I have access to you know the practices and games. So um, being able to attend those games, I have a little more insight with them. So I uh, I cover them. And uh, yeah, so from. Early in the week, I work my national article, and then once I finish that, then I get on the Raiders breakdown or Niners breakdown. Um, wh- wh- whatever film comes out first, um, I'll start breaking that down. But it's a lot of work, but it, it's uh, it's an enjoyable, um, and you know, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Man, what's really fascinating right now, the two teams that you know you mentioned, I would say are the two most, two of the more compelling, shocking. Starts to the season, the Raiders being above 500, an impressive win over in London against the Bears, and then the Niners are one of two undefeated teams. Everyone's showing those gifts around of, you know, it's it's a Brady disciple, it's a Belichick disciple that Jimmy Garoppolo and Tom Brady are the only quarterbacks that are undefeated. Of the two teams, which one do you think is more surprising from what you've seen so far this year? Uh, I think the um, the Raiders are a little more surprising, um, you know, especially after what happened with the whole Antonio Brown fiasco. You know, um, as as wild as Antonio Brown was, is um, he was the Raiders' best player, or um, when when he was on the team, and you can see that in practices and 
in training camp when he was there. And, uh, you know, to lose a player of that caliber right before the season is uh, pretty devastating. Um, and, and then to come in and um, play one of the toughest schedules that I, I've seen in a long time and start out three and two is uh, was really surprising. And that, that Bears win, I think, really put everybody on notice. Uh, I expected the Niners to be a good team this year. I, I thought they would have been a good team last year if Jimmy Garoppolo didn't hurt. And then uh, this year they addressed their biggest weaknesses by adding uh, two edge rushers, Nick Bosa, who's just tearing tearing things up right now, and D Ford, who's good, and uh, yeah, struggling with a little bit of in- uh, injuries, but he's been able to play and he's been effective. Um, and you know their their defense is just taking to another level with a pass rush right now. So. Um, you know, I, I expect them to be good. It's a little surprising to see them uh, start so well undefeated at this point of the season. Uh, but I, I really thought they were going to be a playoff team before this season. Sticking with the Raiders, I'm fascinated because obviously with their rise back in 2016, everyone was talking about their offensive line. You know, there was basically no weakness. Then once Tom Cable came in, it was a complete disaster this year. Now they're back to imposing their will. Incognito looks like a really good signing. Trent Brown's been big. Do you think more is it just them bringing in veteran talent as the reason, or is it just coaching? Because I'm fascinated about how the offense line could – it's been like a roller coaster ride the last few years given, the, I guess, the highs and lows of it. Yeah, you know, I, I said I, would, uh, I wouldn't pass too much judgment on Tom, Tom Cable because he just – you know, until after this year because this is going to be the most talent that he's had to work with in, with offensive line in a long time. And uh, right now he's proving that – uh, he, you know, with some talent, he could be a, a, a good coach. And uh, he, he came out with a really good game plan on how to stop uh, on stopping Khalil Mack last week against the Bears. And um, he, uh, Cole Miller, who they drafted in the first round last year, is a big key to the line. He's playing left tackle, um, and he had a pretty rough year last year. But he showed some promise. But what he had a knee injury earlier in the year that he played had to play through, and it really hindered him and uh this year he's added some weight he's uh he's healthy and um he, he's looked pretty good so far he's still not there yet there's still some room to grow still some more development he's, i think he still has to get stronger uh but he, he looks like a much improved player and he's not a liability and um the, the line is playing well they're, they're run blocking well and they're going to get gabe jackson back after the bye week so they'll, they'll be even stronger you know, you mentioned something about this Raiders schedule, and I thought this was a really, really tough spot. I did a series on our Instagram channel where kind of called it 32 and 32, and one of the things I did for each team, Ted, was spotlight a a time frame or a period in their schedule that might be difficult or easy. And the Raiders had one of the more fascinating ones where, you know, at Indianapolis, in London – by week then they're not playing in oakland again until november uh how big do you think these first two wins for the raiders have been with this brutal brutal stretch that they're involved in oh it's uh absolutely key i mean to be able to upset um upset you know the colts was uh you know it's not like the Colts are a bad team they just beat kansas city but of the team that they played it, it was one of the uh easier team so they had to pull off a win there and they surprised everybody by winning in chicago uh, so that was huge and that puts them at you know at a um at two and one on a road trip and chicago you know it's a home game but it was in london um and, and now they have um green bay and houston uh so if they could pull you know split split those games that it's a really successful road trip that i, that I don't think people for foresaw them doing as well as they did on that that rough stretch um, in the beginning of the season. 
when it comes switching over to Niners for a bit, when it comes to offensive play callers, would you rank? How would you rank Shanahan? Because obviously you watch a lot of film, and Shanahan's kind of like one of the main offensive mastermind darlings. Uh, where would you rank him? Ted, I, real quick before you give your answer, man, I'm on your Twitter right now, creeping a little bit, and I love your response to Daniel Jeremiah. It's like, who are the top three innovators in football right now? You said all the dudes that left Washington, and it's like Lafleur, Shanahan, and McVay. I found that pretty funny, man. And you know, <laughs> back to Alan's question, talking about Shanahan. Yeah, just where, yeah, and, where do you think rank? Uh, and two of those guys are on my top three list. You know, it's hard to uh, rank them above each other, but um, I think top three are probably Kyle Shanahan, McVay, and, and Josh McDaniels. Uh, you know, obviously Sh- Sh- uh, Shanahan, I think he's uh, being able to study his offense and watch everything he does on a weekly basis. It's just uh, pretty amazing. I mean, he doesn't do, you know, he doesn't draw up these gimmicky, crazy plays, um, but he, he just has a really good idea of what the defense is doing, he, and he draws up plays that um, make life extremely difficult for them and calls them at the exact right time. So um, it, it's really cool to see. And, um, and again, it's, it's nothing gimmicky. It's just good football. One quick question. You wouldn't consider the tight end throwback to be a little gimmicky? Uh, no, I mean, it, it, it's a play that's been around for a long time. That's so it, um, his dad ran it a lot with, with Denver, and it, it's a good play when you get fl- the flow of a defense going one way, um, especially when you run so many bootlegs, and if you can buy enough time to th- to hit that throwback, you know, it, it's, a, it's a great play. Right, yeah. Now, Falcons scored about four and touchdowns it, when, it, when it, he was there. Yeah, and it's worked for a long time, too. And, you know, now everybody's doing it. How do you how do you how much do you enjoy this all twenty two angle? Because over the years I've started to dive into this as well. I think it's fascinating when you get an entire field perspective and I'm just you know, just on your page now, you you talk about a guy like Devin Bush who covers Willie Sneed on this one particular play and then closes in on Lamar Jackson and it's it's stuff you can't really see with the naked eye from a TV perspective when you're consuming it on a Sunday. So more so not a Devin Bush question, but how 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 much does it get you going, these all-22 angles? Because I think they're very telling. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, when you, you know, when doing the work I do, having to uh, really break down the, the detail and nuances of each play, um, you have to be able to see the safeties, you have to be able to see the secondary, you have to be able to see the routes develop downfield, and you don't see that with most broadcast angles. And to me, that's you're missing half the story of the game if you cannot see those things. Uh, so for, for me, it's absolutely vital to see the all 22. And I, I don't make uh, too harsh judgments or too big of a judgment without seeing the all 22. I mean, you know, when you're watching basketball, you can see everybody on the screen at all times. But with football, for some reason, uh, and, you know, the reason is um, more casual fans like seeing the, the quarterback more close up. But uh, again, you're, you're missing half the story of the game if you, you don't look at it from the wide angle. I'm curious also when it comes to all 22, where is from a schematic point of view, where what is like the most difficult thing? Because for me, coverage is just kind of difficult to understand where teams are playing cover four, cover six, sometimes just some of the disguises they're using. Would you say coverages in just terms of identifying them would be the most difficult or is there something else that stands out? No, for sure. It's coverages because, you know, guys are messing up coverages. Coverages change based on how, on how um, the route the route progression and route uh, concept develops. Um, and, and, you know, they, there's 
little nuances and uh, coverages that changes from team to team, and you might not be able to know those nuances unless you're in the playbook or in their meetings. So you, you have to uh, just make the best determination you can based on uh, what you know and what you see. Ted, as we're wrapping up here, man, and uh, again, I appreciate you coming on. Right now, after five weeks of football, give me the one team that has impressed you the most that coming into this year you had very low expectations for, and then also give me a team that has disappointed you that you had high expectations for. Hmm. Uh, so I didn't have especially low expectations for um, the, t- the team I'm going to mention, but um, I think the Packers just starting off so hot was, is, is surprising to me. Um, I, I thought they were going to be a better team, but I thought that it would take time to learn the uh, first system. It, it usually takes time to learn that first Shanahan McVay system, but um, they were able to buy some time with how well their defense is playing, and now you're starting to see the offense kind of come alive. So, um, yeah, the Packers starting off 4-1, and one, uh, it, it's surprising, and it's uh, pretty good to see. I, uh, I love watching Aaron Rodgers play, and um, it, it's cool watching him kind of uh, progress in his offense. And I, I think um, in a few weeks and uh, later into the season, we're really going to see that uh, that offense take off. And, then and as far as – sorry. No, that? no, yeah, I was just going to say the, the second part of it, but you, you remembered. Um, yeah, and the teams, I, I, it's hard to, I think the team that is a little disappointing um, is, are the, the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, to me, they uh, before the season, I, I thought they were uh, my NFC favorite uh, to make the Super Bowl, uh, but they had some injuries, obviously, and uh, they, they're starting off 3-2, and two, which isn't terrible, uh, but I, you know, just watching them play, I thought they were going to be much better, and I, I think they will be fine eventually. They're, they'll get healthy, and uh, they'll get in rhythm, but um, yeah, they just ha- didn't start off the way I thought they were going to. Expect a little more from that pass rush, right? I think given the talent, it's been a little <laughs> underwhelming. Exactly. Well, their secondary—I underestimated how bad their secondary is, and then they had to deal with some injuries too. So it, it's pretty rough uh, um, when you, you don't have guys that can cover for very, very long. All right. Uh, this final question, Ted. Just uh, now, you're kind of more transitioning, not obviously for breaking down film and writing, but now transition to podcasting. What's that been like working with a guy like Kirk Morrison and, you know, covering the Raiders? Uh, could you maybe elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah. Um, honestly, when I, when I first started to work in media um, and, you know, I was, I was just writing at first and focusing on that. But then, um, you know, as I got a little bit bigger, I got asked to go on the radio, asked to go on different podcasts and, uh, when, when I first started, I got, I got so nervous every time I got on a podcast or, or a radio, you know, radio appearance. Uh, I had notes in front of me, and I would still stammer through it. And um, it just took some time. And um, a- as I did more, I got more comfortable. And um, Kevin Jones, who runs Blue Wire po- uh, Podcast, asked me to start one. And you know, I was pretty nervous to, to do it in the beginning, but it was something that I wanted to get better at and uh, wanted to improve on. So I, I signed with them and I, I started one and it, you know with with anything you know with more repetition you just get better at it and I feel like I'm pretty comfortable at it now and um, I, I love my co-host Kirk Morrison on Run the Film and it, it's been an awesome experience and it's really just helped me grow as a person I think. Well, Ted, once again I appreciate you coming on. Uh, thank you so much. The floor is yours, my man. Where can they find you? You mentioned the name of the podcast in passing, but give that out one more time and. You know, anything else you're working on, anything you want to plug away, the floor is yours. 
Yeah, so I, I write for the Athletic. I just wrote an article about um, how the, the Raiders upset of the Bears. I have another one coming out about Deshaun uh, Watson's answer um, about the Falcons' defense. I broke it down and, oh boy. and matched up his answer with uh, answer with the film. Uh, so if you're a Falcon fan, you, you might not like that too much. Sorry, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, my podcast is called Run the Film with the Athletic. Um, my co-host is Kirk Morrison. We break down uh, each week's game. We preview the biggest games. Uh, for next week, um, that's also on the Athletic. You could also find that on um, on on Apple. Yeah, you can find that on Apple Podcasts as well. And I also do State of Nation, which is about the Raiders. Uh, so yeah, I have, I have a lot of work, and mostly on the Athletic. So uh, check that. Awesome, awesome, Ted. Thank you so much, my man. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Is this or is this not the marquee game of the weekend? Absolutely. Texans, Chiefs, Mahomes versus Watson. Two of the funnest offenses when they're clicking in the league to watch. I know it's easier to say after, well, you know what, guys, moment of moment of silence for uh, that, that Falcons defense after what Watson did. <laughs> you just listen to Ted. You can go read it, and we're going to leave it at that. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, you know what? Look, you are a prime example, my friend. Of what I've always said. If you could be honest with your assessment of your favorite football team, you can make a lot of money from a betting perspective. And you can also be a very smart fan. And yeah. I think you are that. Because I remember I told the story when we were in Pennsylvania for at, at Tommy's Summer House. I just walked in the door. And I was like, <laughs> bro, Falcons 11-5 and five NFC title game? You're like, you're crazy. You said a lot of other things. And we were boozing a little bit. but I, you- I was just like, those lines. I don't know if you could trust the air lines. Secondary, this lost two of their veterans. I don't know what the younger players are going to look like. And Dirk Cutter... It's kind of another one of those coaches is kind of outdated. It's someone that I'm not sure that should be getting any more jobs, but right, yeah, it's all collapsed. <laughs> so, you know, he threw for I believe over 400 yards passing, five touchdowns. It was the first game since week eight of last season that Watson didn't get sacked. He didn't face any pressure. Like he, he took one hit, and that was just because uh, he was scrambling out of the pocket. I think Alan Bailey got a hit on him, and it was actually rough in the passer, which makes it even worse. Yeah, but you know, goes to show you, like, hey, can we get this guy some protection? Because I've always had a crush, a man crush on Watson. I think he's fantastic. Going back to his time over at Clemson, remember Debo Debo Sweetney came out, the Clemson head coach, and he said Dabo. I said Debo. I yeah. kind of combined two names, but. Dabo came out and said, hey, man, if you pass on this dude, it's going to be the Michael Jordan of the draft, right? And sometimes it's coach speak. It's like, yeah, I'm going to talk about my guy. But then again, if you think about the flip side, Brian Kelly at Notre Dame, Deshaun Kaiser is not ready for the pros, should have came back. Urban Meyer, Dwayne Haskins, he's not ready for the pros, he should have came back. This guy was like, yeah, he was ready two years ago. Like, you guys are going to make a mistake if you pass up on him. And, you know, the forgotten son of that draft class is Mitchell Trubisky. The only time he's brought up is because of, damn, they traded up to get him in that same draft class. Chicago fans are just punching the walls right now. But I came out with a take, and tell me how you feel about this. I think I made this comparison last year, and then a lot of more people are making it this year and whatnot, between Steph Curry and Pat Mahomes. As far as their aura and their appeal to the non-football and basketball fan where now when you go to a golden state game whether they're playing at home at the oracle or i don't even know the new venue that they're playing they just moved uh, we should have asked ted that one maybe he knew the name of the arena but 
people go to Warriors games because they are fascinated by his warm-up and the dribbling the two basketballs and pulling from half court like it's effortless. And then he does that signature shot from the the walkout and the the path into the tunnel, the tunnel, I should say. And same thing with Pat Mahomes. Pat Mahomes started going viral because he's throwing these like 80-yard throws for no reason. Like he's just airing out bombs. Steph Curry is Pat Mahomes. Deshaun Watson, are you ready for an NBA player of a comp? Damian Lillard. Okay. Damian Lillard pulls up from 35, 40 feet. Also, Logo Lillard has been his new nickname. He's been doing it for a long time, but he hits that shot against the Thunder in the playoffs, and then it's on a national stage where I don't know how many people watch the Blazers. They're actually my favorite league pass team because Damian Lillard is my favorite player in the NBA. And Watson, I think if Watson was not in the same draft class as Pat Mahomes, was not compared to Pat Mahomes as far as like style of play, I think more people would be talking about Watson the same way I think more people would be talking about Lillard if the better version of these guys weren't playing at the same time they were. So how do you feel about the Watson-Damian Lillard comparison and and even Curry and Mahomes? Curry and Mahomes could be more spot because I think those are two players that make their extraordinary look ordinary. Just, yeah. Every time they play, more times than not, there's going to be two or three clips you're just going to get. Like, how is that possible? Right. And, and you know, the, the Pat Mahomes no-look pass is now a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that last touchdown against the Colts. Yeah. The play started at the 25. He ran to, like, the 47. And then he just ran back upfield and threw that dart. Yeah. And then Steph Curry is pulling up from three. And now you look at the whole NBA. is like, all right, if you, don't, if you guys can't hit 30-footers, then you're not a good point guard kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And even with quarterbacks now, it's everyone wants to find the next Pat Mahomes. And it's just a wow factor. And it's, you know, it's this guy has a laser rocket arm, but he's accurate too. And, man, he went toe-to-toe with Brady. He went toe-to-toe with Bill Belichick. And, like, he figured them out in that second half. Yeah, and, I, and I don't think either guy gets enough credit. Maybe because Watson holds it on to the ball at some, But they're just pocket awareness. Like, you rarely see Mahomes run into a sack or you rarely see him fumble. Like he mm. just knows how to sense pressure, and he's all, constantly has his eyes upfield looking to make a play. I think that's another impressive aspect about Holmes, and just his ability to throw on the run. Just <laughs> how much arm strength he has, just the way at such difficult angles, or even when the pockets collapse and he could just throw forty yards. It's just, it's unspeakable. Like I don't know how it's possible. Yeah. He just defies logic. And Watson, I think, even though he does hold on to the ball quite a bit, he's still someone that could escape pressure, and he still makes some pretty. Uh, at times, he might overthrow his receivers a little bit. I think accuracy-wise, he's a little behind moments, but just in terms of what he can do outside the pocket or the way he, uh, whenever the pocket collapses, he just makes plays, and he just connects, whether it's with Hopkins or Stills or you know, what he just did last Sunday with Will Fuller, connected a couple of bombs. I put, I did a top five MVP candidates list, and I had both of them in my top five. Mm-hmm. I think it's them two, Russell Wilson, Got put McCaffrey up there, who we gotta give a quick shot at Christian McCaffrey quietly having just not quietly, but I still think he gets recognition because there's just a monster year. He's doing it all. Yeah, I think he has eight hundred and ninety-seven scrimmage yards. I think it's the most since Jim Brown. It, it's it's unbelievable. And and Deshaun Watson, you know, four hundred and twenty-six yards through the air. Uh on the ground he had forty seven rushing yards, uh five touchdowns against the Falcons again. Allen, I'm not rubbing it in. But hey look, uh <laughs> get this guy some some protection, right? 
only the second time in his NFL career where he didn't get sacked. And it's not always going to be that, but that's his ceiling. Like, he has the weapons, right? I still think they don't utilize Duke Johnson enough. Mm-hmm. I've always been a Duke Johnson guy, even going back to his time with the Hurricanes in college. Uh, I love Oguapo. Carlos Hyde is my guy, too. The offensive line, I think, still gets a bad rep because it's improved. It's still bad, but it's gotten better than what it was last year. It's just that Watson also, it's a gift and a curse where he tries to extend plays, mm-hmm. and he gets burned by holding onto the ball for too long. Right. So I think this is this is a matchup, man, of the two two of the three best young quarterbacks under the age of 25. And, it, and they're both going to be in the AFC, and most likely it's going to be, you know, we're always quick to crown guys, but this could be the heir apparent to Brady Manning. We haven't had that rivalry in one conference in a while, and I think it would be cool, and it's good for ratings, and it's good for the sport when you have these guys. And if these guys stay healthy, like the sky's the limit for them too, and it's impossible to not watch these guys and be in awe of them. Yeah, I think NBC's kind of regretting this game was on Sunday night compared to last week, but they couldn't. It was in control because when I saw it was one o'clock, I was like, "Wow, really? Okay." There was some momentum to get it flexed, but yeah. it's still too early in the year. To I, I think they start doing it in December and on. Mm-hmm. Usually is is how it goes. But mm-hmm. man, what are some of your keys to this game? Like, what's the one thing you're looking at? You're looking at these two, two offenses that could put up points against anyone. And the one thing is, how many quarterbacks could go into Kansas City? and potentially win a shootout against Mahomes in Kansas City, like right now in the league. Like, you can't tell me Jacoby Brissett because that wasn't a shootout. That was just excellent coaching. That was just Frank tremendous Wright. game plan, execution, and and, and and like you said, it was it was this is what we had to do to win. 37 minutes, they controlled the ball. Whereas, like, I'm talking about, like, Jared Goff could go toe-to-toe with Pat Mahomes, right? Because we've seen it happen. Uh, Aaron Rodgers could probably do it. Brady did it in the AFC title game. Man, I think Watson's in, in that discussion, and I'm ready to, you know, uh, cameras are rolling as I break the fourth wall like CM Punk did, and I'm waving <laughs> at the camera. I think Watson is right now is a top-five quarterback in the NFL. Because it's kind of a discussion after, I think the, the consensus theory is Mahomes, Rodgers, Wilson, and after that, it's whoever, pick your, pick your poison. Well, yeah. I, I think Brady, just by namesake and yeah. default, and look, he's still having a good year despite... There's something going on in New England. I don't know what it is. And I know they're going to be... They haven't been tested yet, so like the, exactly. the schedule next to us is crazy. We're going to learn a lot about New England these yeah. next few months. From the Browns, depending on what Cleveland Browns team shows up and on. So like Dallas, Philly, Baltimore, Houston, like they're going to be... Well, Kansas City. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So they're going to be tested. Yeah. It's going to be nice because I do think, you know, that Pats defense, it's been sensational. They've given up 34 points through five games and... 14 of them was a pick six and a defensive uh a special teams touchdown that's right so it's really even less than that but yeah. then you look at the quarterbacks it's like no sam Darnold, third string quarterback uh colt mccoy um josh allen josh allen fitzpatrick matt barkley you know it's ben roethlisberger who you know top level quarterback but it's also a team that the patriots just have their number nice step but their first game with uh, ab and levion and you just tell, you could tell like they had something they was great missing. Yeah, right, they had no right. explosiveness. So for me, I think the key in this matchup is it seems like both of these quarterbacks should have time to pick these defenses apart. Both secondaries are very vulnerable. Yeah, I don't like either secondary. And uh, JJ Watt has had a lot of like 
zero impactful games this year. Well, he destroyed the Falcons. I don't know how much to say much. He had about like 13 pressures last game. But Kansas City, Mitchell Schwartz, I think, is the best right tackle in the league. So that's going to be a really good matchup. And I want to see what if Frank Clark can make an impact going against Tunsil. You have two players that both teams have a lot. Draft yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I want to see who could step up. But it's just those corners. No, None of the corners really stand out to me. Bradley Robey's had a decent year, but you put him against a guy like Robinson or, or Watkins is banged up right now. Unfortunately, I love Watkins, but always, man. Ty- is Tyreek Hill, we're not really sure about his status. Well, he practiced today. Okay. So. Uh, first time for non uh, with contact. Status is still up in the air. Man, I think that they miss him. They do. They in terms of field stretcher. Field stretcher, also a guy who, for his size, can a lot of contested catches. He is one of the best ones. I think him and Dillon and Diggs were like the top three last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the knock on him when he first came into the league was yeah, a gadget player, a couple end arounds, and maybe some deep bombs because he ran like a 4 40 or whatever. But he really improved in like contested catches. And I think that what you're seeing Detroit did, and sure, the Lions ended up losing that game. but And even the Colts were like, we're going to double-team Travis Kelsey. And all right, Pringle. All right. Uh, Robinson, Hartman. Yeah, like, cool. You guys are fast, but can you get open mm-hmm. too? And can you produce? And I think I think Ty Freak is desperately needed for this team. Right. Uh, so much as Cream Hunt, I don't think Cream Hunt has been missed that much. Like I know Shady had that fumble, but that was kind of a freak play. Well, and Damian Williams did well. Like last year, the reason why they didn't beat the Pats wasn't because they didn't have Kareem Hunt. Would that would that have been another wrinkle? Yeah, absolutely, because Kareem Hunt was balling out until he fell he fell apart with his you know off the field antics and whatnot. I don't think that was the issue. Um, remember these these running backs are never going to face eight and nine men boxes because the offenses are so good. You know, and I would like to see maybe some more Carlos Hyde, some more Duke Johnson, too. They might try to control the ball a little bit because I'm not sure if they really trust their defense, Houston. So you don't think this should be a shootout? You think? Do you think that's the mold it, team be should adapt? It'll, it'll be a shootout, but I think eventually it'll, it'll be Houston will be forced into a shootout because I don't think they have a defense to stop Holmes. And they're just eventually going to put a lot of pressure on Watson to uh, throw the ball downfield. And who knows? I just, I just don't see Houston whether it's schematically or defensively, really having much resistance for Kansas City. I just think they're totally overmatched, barring a water merciless explosion. Who do you got in this game? Got to go Kansas City. Even though I do think it's a little concerned if Chris Jones doesn't play because he is one of the few defensive players that are playing at an extremely high level. And I think he's somebody that could – another game record. If if he is defenses, they need to rely on their start because both defenses have star talent. Right, right. So that is saying something. It's just I don't like either secondary. It's going to come down to uh, which of the front fours can make enough plays. And uh, I do think Kansas City could do a little more than Houston. Man, this is a big game for the Texans too because – could essentially be tied with Kansas City in your conference also. Three and two going up against four and one. You're competing for a bye at this point, most yeah. likely. Man, I am very excited for this game. We're looking at these two quarterbacks playing at a high level. 11, 11 touchdowns, one interception for Deshaun Watson. Pat Mahomes has 11 touchdowns, no interceptions. 1,831 yards for Pat Mahomes, 1,364 for Deshaun Watson. And, yeah, man, it's just D-Hop. Do you think we can get a D-Hop explosion? Your boy is struggling with his fantasy team. I'm not struggling, but it'd be nice to get my number one pick going. It's just the support. There's a lot of options to feed there, and I think teams are keen. Like Atlanta was really keen on Hopkins, so and look what happened with Will Fuller, and you don't know Kuti or if Stills is healthy. That's another guy to keep take take into account. Can he Stills plays? He could be a difference maker. So, who? 
Uh, at some point, not Hopkins, you'd think has to get going, but it depends because the defense are really key on them. Introduce this next game to us. We got the Eagles and the Vikings. Well, who you, you got KC? I want to say the Texans, but it's one of those situations you're going to lose again in Kansas City. Very tough place to play in. Kind of got embarrassed on Sunday Night Football. Hats off to the Colts. Right. But I do think it was a very... It was a humbling. It was, yeah. Like, yo, if you... I mean, Justin Houston run right on you a little bit. If you don't show up, you could be had kind of situation. So, all right, we got the Eagles going up against the Vikings. Uh, Introduce this game, man. What are you looking at as far as, like, a storyline goes? Oh, boy. In the trenches... I'm very worried about the Vikings. The Eagles finally got going, albeit against uh, a lost Luke Falk. And um, just the Jets offense that is very inept at the moment. But you see the Eagles with Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham starting to get going. Derek Barnett, I think, is becoming one of the better edge rushers in the league. I'm worried about the Vikings all if they can hold up. And as we all know, Kirk Cousins is in a big game. It's it's I feel like it's one of the themes of this game. Whenever we have to talk about the Vikings and it's a big game, it's just like, oh, what Kirk, what's Kirk going to bring to the table? Now, it's in Minnesota. Which I guess helps a little bit, but at the same time, it's just he doesn't react well to pressure. And you know Jim Schwartz knows Kirk Cousins very well, dating back to the Redskins Eagles games from a few years ago. And Jim Schwartz does not hesitate when it comes to blitzing. So between that and I do you have to take account that the Vikings do have options on the outside, obviously with Thielen and Diggs and you know, they have a huge advantage over the Phillies cornerback, especially since neither cornerback necessarily adjusts well to whether it's crafty route runners or just someone that's explosive like Diggs. But it's just whenever you see Kirk Cousins and a shaky O-line against a ferocious front four and a defensive coordinator knows, has no limitations when it comes to bringing pressure. Like Jim Schwartz will bring it. It's hard to have much confidence in the Vikings in this one. What do you make of Carson Wentz this year? Are you liking what you're seeing? Are you, are you good? concerned? Considering no Deshaun Jackson, the injuries for, with Jeffrey and Goddard. Yeah, I've been... I've liked one so far. I, maybe there's a few. I think the Lions game is a little sketchy. Honestly, the, honestly, the Falcons took it to have been that first half, which is crazy looking back on it. But yeah, I think Wentz, for most part, has looked good. It's just this time's kind of like Watson where he kind of overthrows his target and there's times where he tries to make too much of a play. So that's kind of the concern with Wentz where he's just trying to be too perfect at times where he just, just take, the, take the L, the play, just throw it away. Right. So but no, I think Wentz, he's another guy I think could eventually be top five. I think maybe... Right now, I don't know if he's in that consideration, but for me, he's someone that's always been the real deal. Well, PFF had him as their number one quarterback going into week five. It's interesting. I don't know about that. I don't know about that either. That's why, you know, I mean, look, I love pro football focus. I think their content is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Shout out to our buddy Taryn. He sends some of the news and notes on some of these games. But last year through nine weeks, they had you believing that James White was the best football uh, best running back. I feel that was just like a real weird op-ed piece. Like it just some guy that had to put that out there. I don't know if it's a running backs don't matter guy or right because that's another yeah, debate. Yeah, yeah. But look, Wentz looked really good against Green Bay. You have to take that into account in terms of like big time matches. I thought Wentz really delivered again. Albeit Doug Pearson just threw up a lot of openings. You want to talk about easy access plays or scheming players open? And Doug Pearson is one of the best. And that chess match, Doug Pearson against Mike Zimmer. Woo! That's a hell of a matchup. How about this matchup here? This game has by far the largest difference in starting quarterback grades of all the games in week six. Wentz, 90.4. Cousins, 61.7. And Cousins just played the Giants, too, where you know he padded those numbers a little bit. But uh, it just, 
I don't know what the makeup comes at this point because whenever he gets rattled, you just see he doesn't. He starts kind of like Baker Mayfield, where he's sensing pressure and the pressure isn't even there. That's a concern with Cousins, and it just is. There's still sometimes where he throws the ball into traffic, and I know the Eagles secondary isn't great, but they still have players like Malcolm Jenkins will make you pay. Like he's somebody that you have to take account for. So it's just a lot of things are pointing towards the Eagles in this game, and given that they are riding momentum, just. It's kind of an easy week at Jets, but I thought that Packers game really showed us a lot, especially coming from adversity, you know, being one and two. Now they're three and two, and uh, the I'm not sure if Deshaun Jackson is going to play in this one, but they still have someone like Ertz. Ertz, I could see someone that, he's going to have a monster game, I think, just because I don't know for some reason Minnesota where they get too blitz happy with Zimmer, he runs those infamous double A gap blitzes. I could just see Ertz eating underneath. Yeah, I mean uh, Waller over in Oakland, he's becoming the breakout tight end this year from. As far as like a guy who wasn't in the picture to becoming, you know, like people forget Kittle wasn't expected to have the year that he had last year. And I'm not comparing the two guys, don't get me wrong, but Waller kind of tore him up. The The Raiders were able to move the ball through the tight end. Uh, I think a key matchup here is Dalvin Cook against his front seven too, because the Eagles are very stout against the run. And that's really what Minnesota prays to do so that Kirk Cousins doesn't have to win him a game. Yeah. So I think that's the biggest matchup here. You got that front seven for the Eagles and their run defense up against, again, probably the second best running back in football at the moment as far as, like, how he's played this year. Cook's definitely up there. Just You know, it's like McCaffrey's number one. I mean, you mentioned him as a production. Yeah, I think you have to put Cook there, number two. Like, I love what Nick Chubb's doing, but, yeah. I like that one. Yeah. Because we're not mentioning guys like Barkley and Elliott because those are like the gold standard of running backs. But right yeah, now, but we're also talking like, about like what they've done this year. Yeah. Like those guys haven't really gotten going yet, mm. you know. And one is battling injury now; the other one was missed the whole preseason. Yeah, you know, and he's still trying to get his legs underneath him. And kind of got phased out of that last game. Zeke Elliott. Does anyone celebrate first downs more than him? Michael Thomas. I love Michael Thomas. I do. Can't stop flexing. <laughs> Always, man. Yo, Zeke, man, you're down 15 points. You just made it a two-score game, and you're, like, celebrating. And it's just like, man, sometimes some awareness would be nice. It would be. But uh, we are you looking at this game? I think I'm going Philly. I don't know what to make of Minnesota. They've looked really good against shit teams. Um, They've gone overwhelmed against good teams. Yeah. So like Chicago abused them with their backup. Chicago abused them. Uh, Green Bay abused them. Uh, who else was their other loss? Oh, no, they only have two too. losses. Yeah, Green right, Bay right. game could have been a lot worse, but I still think Rodgers and, and Lafleur are still. Well, that game they yeah. jumped out to a twenty-one nothing lead. Right. They're and still acclimating to a new offense, right? And then they kind of just like yeah. took their their foot off the gas mm-hmm. there. But yeah, I'm gonna go with Philly. Right. Uh, I'm not I'm not ready to overreact and sell my stock on Philly, though their defense needs help. But I do think that this is a team that I think is going to make noise come January. Absolutely. Um, I'm still staying with that. So I still think they're going to win the division. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you on that. Give me Philly. Give me Philly. All right. Next game we have up. This also might be the most fascinating matchup from a coaching perspective. Has to be. Because I was reading an article on, obviously, when something like Monday Night Football happens and you see how smoothly ran that offense is when you have a quarterback that's competent like Jimmy Garoppolo and you have some offensive pieces there and you know you've improved your defense and also without Joe Staley 
who, yeah. you know, he's going to miss some time. And they just lost McGlinchkey. Yeah, and Kyle Juszczyk. I know fullbacks are kind of stupid. Juszczyk, stick, yo. Him Juszczyk. and Devlin, I think, are the most valuable fullbacks in the league. Yeah, 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 from a, yeah. Especially from a schematic standpoint. Absolutely. Couldn't yeah. agree with you more. And that's going to be a big loss for them. Uh, how long is uh, Juszczyk out for? I think both, both him and McGlinchkey are out four to six weeks. All right, so they, they could – their schedule – I kept pointing out their schedule, and I think we ran by this too. I know they got like Washington, Arizona, and Carolina after yeah, this. Yeah, so. they have – like they, they have a Seattle and a – like they play the Rams this week, and that's what we're talking about right now. Rams uh, playing the Niners. Niners going into Los Angeles to play the Rams there. Rams coming off an extended break after playing Thursday Night Football. But you do have a Rams and a Seahawks in this stretch. But, mm-hmm. man, it's very realistic for them to be 7-2, and 8-1 and one potentially. Mm-hmm. And that will put them at the top of the NFC at the moment. But I want to go back to Shanahan because after that Monday night game, an article came out about Kyle Shanahan. I forgot where it was from, and I apologize for not referencing this. But basically what the article was saying was, you know, it was more slandering the Redskins, right? They get rid of Jay Gruden, who wasn't that long ago. Jay Gruden was the Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan of the NFL. Like he was that hot uh, quarterback whisperer, offensive coordinator that was going to be the next guy. There's some real good things in Cincinnati. Right. And then they had three guys in that organization and Matt LaFleur, Shanahan, and Sean McVay. And the word was that Sean McVay had the it factor as far as like charisma and the energy and the swagger where Kyle Shanahan was just like mellow super quiet was like the brainchild yeah he's a bit arrogant he does rub people the wrong way cause shan that's another thing i think that's why cleveland i think cleveland decided to fire him or like i know things went awry and him and mike petton weird combo but because i remember that was the one year the browns were like seven four it, brian hoyer was started to cover the star then they brought manzel and that just completely flopped but yeah look everywhere shan goes i'm not team we don't know what the overall team in terms of record, but in terms of his offense, he gets production. He got the best years at Matt Schaub. Did some great things with Brian Hoyer. Matt Ryan won MVP. It's wherever he goes, the offense. RG3. Right. I'm about to pose a wild question, and I know there's a lot of reasons he buys behind this, but who do you think is the better coach? It's hard to assess that just because overall coach. Because I think that the Rams have way more talent on the offensive side to work with. Play Clark, I, I, still, I want to see more from a coach's perspective. I want to see more of Shannon just because the first two years have been kind of a wash. But when it comes to actual play calling, I do think Shannon's better. Just because I think McVay is a little too reliant on play action and screens. Like he runs a lot of misdirection, which of course is useful. There's a lot of deception there. And I, like, I think what he's doing with Cooper Cup is fantastic. Just keep targeting him in a slot but i don't know i just think shannon is more creative and he's someone that has answers and he will truly exploit a defense's biggest flaw you saw that against the browns just continue to pound the run especially on the counter like that touch on the breeder so well designed you had to use check going in motion him from the other side he just knows how to exploit other teams and you know if you want to look at the biggest stage he, he didn't completely fall apart against belichick he was taking it to belichick and patricia while Sean McVay in the Super Bowl, we kind of saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's one thing you have to get there because, yeah, Atlanta, obviously, we don't, need to, we don't need to recap that. But Listen, guys, let's not hurt Allen's yeah, feelings. But those first three quarters, they were designing some plays. You saw those touchdowns, especially that there was one to Tevin Coleman where just, once again, talking about scheming players open. That's what these two guys do so well that you don't see enough offensive play calls doing. You so, there's times where you just need that big chunk play. 
and you just want to scheme that player up as a superstar or it's your fourth receiver doesn't matter who it is just having that having the wherewithal or just having the confidence where it's just okay on this play whether it's a rubber concept or a screen it's like we're gonna gain 10 12 yards and we're gonna make the defense look silly rather than rely on individual brilliance because if you look at it i always like to play this game if you're playing pickup football right seven on seven how many rams players go before you take the second niners player on offense Right, like you got three receivers. I love Gerald Everett, by the way. I think he, uh, McVay compared him to Jordan Reed. I'm starting to see a little of this. Well, you look, you know, a lot of uh, again going back to the copycat league last year, uh, per Warren Sharp's book, which I've referenced many, many times. He talks about 12 personnel and going to two tight end sets, mm-hmm. right? And with two tight end sets, what that allows you to do is when you have versatile tight ends, right? We saw New England do this way back in the day with Gronk and uh, the murderer Aaron Hernandez. Uh, it, you have, you have that two tight end sets and a lot of teams have tried to adapt it right even the Colts at one point were trying to do it San uh, Fran did a bit with uh, Walker and Vernon Davis right right so but they're using a lot more Higby a lot more Everett and then you got those three wide receivers but I'm saying like alright if you're doing a draft right now and you're taking offensive players from the Niners and the Rams who goes one we're talking I'm talking just skill players I'm gonna give Kittle the slight edge over Cooper Cup. Really? I love okay, Cooper Cup. Okay, that's a surprise. Uh, it's tight because Cooper Cup is playing like a top ten receiver. He might be. It's just his production. Like he's yeah. uncoverable right now. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. In terms of like winning at the top of route, he just he's blowing away. He's easily now the number one there. Like I love Bob Woods and Cooks is a, definitely a dangerous threat, but. I just don't know. Kittle brings a lot. Like people don't understand. Like Kittle is such a good blocker as well. You see him really. Like one thing I really appreciate with him and Kelsey Ertz. Not so much Ertz. Not really a blocker, but Kelsey and Ertz are just really good block. Uh, Kelsey and Kittle. Yeah. KK. Yeah, they just. You see them like they're constantly. They're not taking off the field when on running plays. These guys are going to get in there and they're going to make dangerous or they're going to make some vicious second level blocks they're going to put people on their back so that's another reason why i kind of like george i kind of sound old school right now you gotta take the block into consideration yeah not yo you know it's valuable man that surprised me that surprised but all right i'll give you kittle because it's not outright like you didn't tell me dante pettis so like (laughs) i get that so all right we go kittle we go cup then would you go girly or woods because i think that's who i would put third give the slight edge to girly Slide as to Gurley, and then would you put Woods at four? Woods and then Cook. Cooks, so me. what I'm saying is, like, you're going to go down a list before you get to the next Niners player. Tevin Coleman, Teco Raw. <laughs> well, not, yo, dude, I think Matt Breida, I think, is the I most love Matt underrated, Breida. underappreciated running back in football. Right now, leads the league in yards per carry. Wow, okay. Uh, and he's also doing it on, like, 12 carries a game. I'm telling you, Matt Breida, this guy last year... Every week was questionable. We had a new injury, quadricep, hamstring, ankle. Like he's just a warrior. Absolute beast, undrafted. Yeah. Right? Man, that draft class, 2017 draft class, you want to talk about running backs? Dude, McCaffrey, Fournette, Dalvin Cook. Let's not put Fournette in there. Aaron, wow, he's balling, man. All right. I'd, Come on, bro. That I've never no, been no, for that listen, guy. He's, I, you know what? Shout out to Sam Monts at PFF. He goes, in terms of least impressive 200 yard games I've ever seen, Leonard Fournette is easily number one. I was like, Jesus. Could you imagine having a least impressive 200 yard game? I just, I don't know. Fournette, it's just his draft stat. Like being the fourth pick, you just expect a lot more. But no, nah, all right. You can see that. Fine. I just but think, I look at guys like Kamara and Dalvin Cook. It's just, I'd rather have them any day over Fournette. Yeah, Camara too. Also, which I I I didn't mention, but 
man, it's just that class. And he's he was undrafted in that class too. That's a really, really good class in that. I didn't know he was that quick, bro. Like when he outran Randall, I was like, whoa. Pretty impressive. So but yeah, I San Fran they're just doing a they're still a team that's kind of building their offense right now because they you could tell they invest a lot in their defense, a lot in their O lines. Who do you think has a better defense? Gonna go slight edge Rams just because of the secondary. I do think the Niners secondary is still vulnerable. Even though Sherman's kinda of having a rebound year and I think a kill Weatherspoon, even though he was out the previous game, he's having a bounce back. Because there was times he got benched last year. Like Weatherspoon was expected to emerge and he got benched, so he's kinda of having a rebound year. But I still think with the Rams they have a lot of playmakers back there and I gotta give him the edge there. Man, how different this script would have been if one for you as a fan, if the Falcons win that Super Bowl and then the Rams win that Super Bowl too. Do you think we're talking about these coaches a little differently? Not too much, I don't think. I think I think people respect them as the two best minds, or at least up there. You know, depending on what you want, but Andy Reid or Sean Payton. I don't think either of the Super Bowls really hurt their stock. Obviously, they wish they had a re- in their resume. They could at least right. point to it. Like, but for me, it's just I think everyone knows how great they are. Everyone yeah. knows like when you're watching these offenses, they're gonna do some wild, unique stuff, and you're gonna learn something about it. Like, they're very much innovators, and whether it's through play action, whether it's through screen, or whether it's through just some sort of deception using uh, whether it's bunch formations or uh, pick plays, whatever it may be. You're just, when you're watching these two offenses, your eyes are glued to the end. Even though, yeah, they kind of crumbled, well, at least McVay did on the National State, or obviously in the Super Bowl. I just think with those two, you know you're going to get. And I, when it comes to learning about football, learning about offenses, you're going to watch them. So nah, I don't think the Super Bowl really hurt them too much. Nah, I'm with you. Yeah. I was just curious as to what your answer would have been. Uh, where are you going in this game? I'm going to go with the Rams, although I am concerned about their O-line. I do think their offense line has taken quite a hit this year. Uh, Whitworth's a year older, losing Saffold and uh, that, Sullivan. That front seven is pretty uh... – Oh, Nick Bosa. Well, I like that Give you brought the up, year already. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like that you brought up some of those subtractions on that offensive line because, man, I think again we live in the fantasy era and people are like, "Oh, Gurley's production's down and whatnot." And like, yeah, that's fair. But I also think the fact that you end up paying some of these guys what you pay them, you extend golf. The downside is going to be that yo people, there's going to be casualties. Right, some guys got to go, and I think that offensive line is not as good as it was in years past, and that's a reason why Todd Gurley is not putting up the numbers that he did years past. They had a really good game against Seattle. It was good to see him get the ball. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he got a he played about ninety percent of the snaps. Yeah, you barely saw Malcolm Brown. It yeah. looked like he was getting used in the passing game too. And look, he's on my fantasy team, and I I feel fine with it. Mm-hmm. Like, sure, it's not the Gurley of last year, but he was also on pace to have a season that like only five other people I've had before mm-hmm. before slowing down. But that's fine, and I think golf is struggling with having the a weaker offensive line in front of him. But talking about weaker offensive lines, San Francisco's missing both starting tackles in Staley and McGlinchey. Uh, Dante Fowler's looking better. Clay Matthews has six X, albeit I think Aaron well, Donald's assists on like four of those, yeah. but Clay Matthews is still a savvy veteran that he get those coverage sacks. He's someone that's he doesn't necessarily need to beat the guy one on one. He's just someone that's around, just aware. So between that and I just I'm still not convinced on Garoppolo. I don't know. I think if when it Man, comes a to lot him, of people feel that way. It's just this. I don't know if his timing's off with the receivers, but it just seems like whenever he has to step back back there and when he has to go in the pocket and. I don't know. It's just he's very skittish, and you're going against Aaron Donald and against a, yeah. a Rams defense that I think are, is going to blitz a lot. 
I think that's what the concern is. Goff, he's going to take some hits, but I think I trust the Rams playmakers a lot more, and I trust the secondary a lot more. I think those two make the difference. Have I told you my Andrew Luck theory on quarterbacks? Maybe there's, not on the podcast. But. There's no, at the time, and this was early Andrew Luck too, there was no quarterback I wanted in the NFL down 17 than Andrew Luck. Remember when he used to have like Pep Hamilton, I think his name was. Yeah. The co- the coach. Or Rod Chorosky. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, it seemed like when they would go no huddle and they let Andrew Luck kind of just sling it, it was him calling the plays and him doing his thing. And it's like, the Colts are down 17, but then before you know it, the red zone flies just up. Back to Indianapolis with the Colts have the ball with five minutes left to, to take the lead. And they're like, yo, they were just down 21 nothing, 17 nothing. So. I didn't know Scott Hansen's voice could squeak like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a terrible Scott Hansen. Shout out to Scott Hansen, by the way. But what I mean by that is I think I want to see you on the road, down 10, down 14, and early. Yeah, that's what you want to see with both quarterbacks. You still want to see more of golf right. because the Rams are just so good. Right. And I think PFF posted a stat about the Niners. They've only passed ball, what, 45% of the time this year? And I just they've gone with the big leads. Like, it's wow. Why do, are they going to run? Why are they going to throw the ball when you're up double digits, especially against teams like, you know, well, the Bucks when that's looking better. Now looking back on it from week one, but you know they've been a couple of down teams. Uh, oh, damn, I'm blanking out right now. Uh, Steel, well, Steelers game was kind of, but that was just a mishmash of a game. But uh, being the Bengals, they blew them out, so I could understand why. But I think in this game you're going to see Jimmy G get pressed, and I don't think he's going to respond very well. And I do think the Rams. Trio receivers, they're going to win enough one on one matchups. And I do think Gerald Everett's going to, I'm really, I want to see what he do. In terms of tight ends after a catch, he's got to be up there. Like some of the tackles he was breaking in Seattle. And I just remember, like McVeigh said, he reminds me of Jordan Reed a little bit. I'm like, really? Maybe after like traits, but you know, he's someone, he might not get a lot of targets, but he can make a difference. I'll never forget one of the most impressive throws I've ever seen Guff make was down the right sideline against the Chiefs that Monday night yeah. game. Yeah. Everett. I remember like, that he's one just, too. He's a threat, and I think now McVay's going to realize we got to start using him more, even though the only, there's only so many targets that could go around, but I think he's another guy that can make a big difference. I know people are going to say, oh, he's the, uh, he, had, he dropped that ball and led to the interception that pretty much – and well, Rams should have still won at the end, right. but I still think he's someone that could be utilized besides the true receivers. And uh, we're not sure about Cooks. Remember, he had to leave the game, so maybe he might not play. But Yo, Yeah, this might be a hot take. I kind of touched on this on the Monday pod where I talked about the 2014 draft class. It's like Evans, Watkins, Cooks, Odell. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Devontae Adams is in that class in the wow. second round, too. Okay. Um, a lot of so, some nice names there. Marquise Lee also. but Panther fans will spare you. Uh, Florida State. Oh, <laughs> my God. Yay, Calvin. <laughs> Jesus. The tight end. That's why. That's why I forgot about it. The tight end. But, man. I don't like Brandon Cooks at all. Never did it for me. I thought he would have, like, he has a lot of explosion games, like Will Fuller kind of games, but he has a lot of two for 30s. When he gets pressed, he struggles. He struggles in his press. I think that's why Belichick kind of got tired of him. And he's a one-dimensional wide receiver. Right. I think. I think he's a deep guy downfield. And or and if like, you scheme him up on play action, like you'll run those deep crossers. That, but that's it. Like yeah. that's not a. There's a reason why Sean Payton and Bill Belichick viewed him. You're talking about two best coaches in the league viewed him expendable. And that's going to be a guy who's going to be a casualty hit against the cap because I believe he's like 
top eight in salaries per season. Because they got to pay Cooper Cup. I think they they're going to have to pay that. Cooper Cup. They yeah. just paid golf, and that's going to trickle in starting next yeah. year. And then you've already w- paid Woods Donald and paid. Gurley, and yeah. you know I'm sure you'll have like Littleton has been balling out. I don't know what his cap situation is, but he'll want to get paid. And Marcus Johnson. Peters, and you know like Cooks is going to be the odd man out. I, yep. I really think so, and he just never did it for me. And I don't know if that's a hot take or whatnot, but just I like Robert Woods wide receivers where they can have that 11 for 134 game like he did against Tampa Bay. But he's also like when I think of Robert Woods, I think of Reggie Wayne in the sense where it's like Reggie Wayne, 7 for 70, mm-hmm. just consistent across the board. He's so physical. That's why I love Robert Woods. Like he just You use him a slide, you can put him on the outside, you screens, end the rounds. Like he's just, you could give it all, and he's such a great player. I know I'm going to sell old school again, but he's one of the best blockers yeah. in the league. Like, I've, I've never been more wrong about a player in my life. Robert Woods. Okay. I completely i spent about like 10 minutes on the show at the time when he signed for like nine million dollars a year with the rams i was like dude i watched him in buffalo and he's not good like struggled to get open was just not productive and you're paying him nine million dollars i was was, a head scratch it was one of the biggest head scratching signs i remember that matt khalil when he went to carolina and now now he's underpaid if you think about it for his production and what he means to the team like i mean mcveigh is just one of those players he just found his place there and he should just be there for but right you gonna go Rams or man? I, I you know what the 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 tackle situations and losing use check it might be too sudden of a not enough time to correct that. You know they unfortunately for them. You know what also sucks that early bye week. They had a bye week already. Right. Usually they say the ideal time to have a bye week is between week nine and eleven. It's like you played around eight games, you still have another eight to go. Like around there is a sweet spot, but. Man, now you're gonna play straight through if you're the if you're if you're the Niners. So I'm gonna go with short week, Rams extra time to prepare. Kind of needed more. You'd be looking at them dropping three straight games, and in a division that's super competitive. Very, you know, it's yeah, already has a tiebreaker on them. Yeah, so I think this is a bigger game for the Rams, but I think it's also a statement game for the Niners. Like I think if the Niners win this game. And look, depending on how you feel felt about Cleveland, I kind of predicted the Niners to win that game against them. You called that, yeah. But I think um, I think it's a bigger game for the Rams as far as what it means for their season. But I think it could be a bigger statement win for the Niners if they were to pull up an upset, which you know they're an underdog right now. Absolutely. So, all right, cool guys. Some housekeeping notes. The YouTube channel we're putting out a lot of content. There's some stuff on there. Definitely check it out. YouTube.com/slash/veteransminimum. Uh, thumbs up on the videos. Watch those videos. It goes a long way to building the channel and the brand. Um, at Veterans Minimum on Twitter and Instagram. Also the Facebook page as well. Trying to grow, grow that. If you guys are looking to buy merch, any hats or shirts, DM the Twitter or the Instagram page. Or reach out to myself and uh, Alan too if needed. And we'll get in touch with you. As far as I go, it's at The Lame Show, Twitter, Instagram, and on Twitch. I'll be streaming a lot more going forward. Always nice to talk to the fans there because it's more of a one-on-one personal interaction. Um, some of the people that listen to the show that tune into the Twitch streams, they'll vouch for that as well. And, uh, yeah, the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Veterans Minimum. Shout out to Alex Davies, my guy, Ace Davies, baby, from the Thunder Down Under in Australia, patron, new patron. So shout out to you, my man. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, no one wants to hear from me anymore. You guys got a nice lengthy episode. Alan, close us out. Where can they find you, brother, brother? Alan underscore Stark. That's A-L-L-E-N underscore S-T-R-K. While everyone's enjoying 
Rams 49ers, I will be watching Falcons Cardinals covering that beat. So, yeah, I assume we'll talk a little bit more Falcons in the future because uh, when it comes to hot seats right now, I don't think any hot seats. This is a hot seat burning more than Dan Quinn's at the moment. So, uh, maybe we'll touch on a little bit more in the future. But, yeah, I'll be covering that. And, yeah, we're just moving forward. I'll move forward with the podcast. But, yeah, I'm going to continue to try again more guests. Uh, I want to definitely have a few more people on, whether it's journalists or uh, a couple of personalities. Julio! Yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> Trying to get Atlanta player right now. Oh, my God. Good luck. Oh, jeez. That's social media team. I, imagine being social. That's always one of the hardest feels. Like, imagine being social media manager of the Jets or the Falcons right now, just posting something. Like, you're like, oh, we're going to the community right now. You guys suck. Like, it's just Twitter. Like, I love Twitter, but we know there's. it's a very toxic environment. And, yeah. I'm telling you right now, if I'm uh, you ever had me meet Julio Jones, I would definitely embarrass you. <laughs> <laughs> like, sir, you remember this play where I won this amount of money? I was like, yo. Uh, First so, thing I'm going to tell him, hey, man, I'm Julio. I'll be like, yo, I love you. <laughs> guys, enjoy the show. Hope you enjoyed the show. Enjoy the football. Some good games on, and we'll catch you guys next week, baby. Oh, teaser. Teaser. Teaser, baby. A little bit of a reunion coming Monday. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.